eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome to Composite Two-Star Recruits, a USC recruiting podcast with a couple of one-star hosts, Chris 10K Trevino and Gerard Hurricane Martinez. Part of the uscfootball.com podcast family. The Cilantro Boys talk about everything from commitment breakdowns, game analysis, old recruiting stories, and, of course, some unsubstantiated rumors. And now, here are your hosts, 18K and Gerald. Welcome back to Composite Two Star Recruits. I am 10K Trevino, a.k.a. your one-star host for this little podcast. And as always, I'm joined by my podcasting partner in crime, Hurricane Martinez. Gerald, how are you doing? I'm hanging in there. How are you doing, Christopher? I'm doing good. Doing well. Just covered uh, practice. Well, maybe like two minutes of practice. Maybe I'll comment on that later. But (laughs) Gerard, I did want to mention that at the meetup that we did in Chicago the night before the South Bend game out there at Notre Dame, uh, Two Star Nation really showed out and showed us a lot of love for the podcast to me and to you. A lot of people were asking me where you were, so I just wanted to pass on all that love that we got for this podcast and obviously our our combination on the show. So Two Star Nation really showed out. To the meetup in Chicago. That was during your deep dish excursion. It was. It was during uh, right after. Uh, right after I, I tried my first deep dish, and then we went to the bar, and then yeah, tons of USC fans that came out. So yeah, pretty much uh, half an hour after I had uh, partaken in my first deep dish. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, that's uh, unfortunately was uh, not a great end to the weekend, but good to hear it was a. Good start to the weekend. And I always I introduce Chris uh, as as Christopher when I feel like it might not be the most cheery podcast because it's actually Christian. So Christopher and if you guys don't know on the message board, we've revealed that if you want to add Chris Trevino and ask him a question at the board, you've got to actually tag him Chris and Trevino, which I did not know until like literally a week ago. So the, the N stands for negative. So I always say it's the imposter Christopher, Christopher in Trevino as opposed to Christian Trevino, who's the positive, uh, happy-go-lucky Chris that has great news for the Trojan Nation. So are you are you trying to 
pick which one I'm going to be today? Is that what you're trying to do? I've Is that you're trying to feel me out? Oh, you've I've already, already predicted, predicted it. it. And, and from now on, people are just going to have to catch on to it. So I pointed it out because I've done it a couple times already and I've called you Christopher. And then I kind of talk about the Christopher N. Trevino, who's the uh, sh- the shadowy figure that uh, likes to set me up for negative rants. I, I just blame it on you basically at this point. And, um, you know, maybe maybe we'll get Christian to come out and uh, we'll spin it. We'll spin it hard, baby. We'll ride that silver lightning. We'll see. Well, I'm going to do a little Christian right now because I did want to shout out one specific fan that I met at the meetup. His name is Jesse. So shout out to Jesse. And he's a huge fan of the podcast. And specifically, he listens to the podcast while he's working on cars in his garage. And he was, you know, heartbroken to hear that. There is no longer Garage Martinez for the rest of the season because you are now inside. You were inside today, so technically you are not Garage Martinez. But I just we're like on, that little we're parallel. We're on an inside like, streak. Yeah, we're on an inside on a, streak. <laughs> the inside streak. And no, uh, no garage for now. I can't say that there will be no garage in the future. I mean, we're doing these late. And so, you know, the tribe, the the herd is uh, kind of like in bed and, you know, they're they're away now. Um, but if we have to do them earlier in the day, uh, there's no guarantees. I might be back out in the garage. So, um, yeah, but I just found that funny that he was, you know, love listening to the show in his garage while he worked on his cars and obviously garage Martinez. So I I just had to, to mention that. And I just want to mention Gerard, we have serious clout in the inland empire. You know, this is obviously isn't real, but I just want to say if there was ever, I want to say if. If there was like an election for a president and vice president of the Inland Empire, it would. I'm not saying. I'm, I'm not. No, I'm not. Say, I'm not saying we would win. Absolutely not. There's no. There's no way we would win. But you know, we would get enough votes to I think force a runoff. I think. I think we could like really annoy like some serious candidates, some serious tickets for the position of president of the Inland Empire. I, I can imagine like some overworked campaign manager coming to one of the top candidates and being like, look, sir, you're doing okay in the Latino market. You have like 33%, but you're getting hammered in the cilantro boy market. You're getting hammered. You only have less than 1% of the cilantro boy vote. They're like, I don't understand. Isn't the Latino demographic the same as the cilantro boys? They're like, no, 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 you don't understand. There's a subset of Hispanic voters that listen to this podcast, these two morons that are running against you actually and taking up some of your votes. You have to listen to the podcast to understand it. And they're like, okay, can I listen to the podcast on my drive to work? Oh, it's, sir, it's three and a half hours. And then you go to hell, <laughs> you go to hell. So I imagining this scenario, but we have, we have numbers in the IE. Drug. And they're growing. We got, we got hitters <laughs> out there. So uh, Jesse is from the Inland Empire and he's also a cilantro boy. So, you know, triple threat right there. I just wanted to shout him out and his family, his daughter and his uh, wife were at, the meetup as well. They bought me some drinks. Uh, shout out to the USC Dental School. So I, I'm picturing Jesse listening to this while he's working on his car and like being stunned that I'm shouting him out right now. And he hits his head on the, the hood of his car because he can't believe it. I hope you don't hit your head, Jesse. But shout out. Thank you for the love. So I just wanted to um, pass that along, Gerard, that, uh, you know, the fandom is is really appreciative of us. Of us. We're, mo- we're moving the needle out here in, in the Inland Valley. I like to hear it, <laughs> even though this is a USC football podcast, which is obviously Southern California and national, if not global, because of the USC brand. But uh, good to hear that our niche 
is uh, being recognized by uh, Trojan fans. I mean, there's a ton of Trojan fans out here. There's a, you know, I, I think everybody kind of thinks LA because of uh, USC, but yeah, you, you see people with the Trojan fan gear on all the time. And I, you know, I've always thought like about approaching people and being like, Hey, you know, have you, you ever uh, heard of uscfootball.com? Because I know there's so many people that don't like, they don't know anything about a centric, USC football site that actually covers just USC football and USC football recruiting. And obviously we do basketball and what have you. Shotgun just actually had a, a nice little uh, scoop on a basketball visitor that's going to be on campus this weekend. But I mean, certainly the team centric focused kind of coverage that we have and, uh, you know, kind of catering to more of the, the diehard fans. And I, I'm, I'm not that extrovert that goes up and just like, Hey, you're a Trojan fan. Hey, have you ever heard of uscfootball.com? And then get in this conversation about, yeah, yeah, you should subscribe or you, you could you know, be on there for free, et cetera. You know, I, I, it would be awkward, I think. So I don't, but I always think about that because I just see so many people, you know, I see license plates and what have you. And I always wonder, I go, I wonder if they even know that uscfootball.com exists. Probably not. And it would behoove us because it's our job and the more subscribers that we have, the better we could potentially get paid. Um, but that's not really me. So I, I never really do it, but occasionally people come up to me and like they did with you. And, um, you know, I had a gentleman come up to me at the, uh, the Friday night game. I was at the Bonita Yala game and actually gave me some advice on mosquito, uh, uh, <laughs> uh not repellent, no but, um, there's some, uh, um, homemade remedy. No, it's, it's it's not a homemade re- remedy. It's Chicker X, which is uh, something that you actually put on the mosquito bites after you get them. And I was kind of pumped up about it. I was like, oh, yeah, you know, something, you know, that's even better than calamine lotion. And I looked it up, but unfortunately, it has propylene glycol on it. And I have a slight skin irritation to propylene glycol. I won't even get into that story, how I, fo- I found that out, that that year and a half of my life, which was hell. Um, but nevertheless, long story short, um, yeah, I, I don't think it'd probably be good because it would be, you know, rubbing it into the dermis of the skin, which is technically kind the of dermis. The yeah, dermis. It, it, it's 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 like I, propylene glycol is not like something I get on my skin and then it like it, it blisters or it gets red or anything. But if your skin is damaged to some extent, there are certain things you can have allergies to. So I have like allergies to nothing, but I figured out I got a couple of weird off the wall a chemical skin allergies and that happens to be one of them and there's a lot of stuff that has propylene glycol in it unfortunately so that's not going to be a remedy for me uh, but i did pass it up to my mom because she has she gets you know mosquito bites sometimes and they can blister they i don't know they're they're wild out here now you know we've got uh some uh some invasive species that have taken over the ie when it comes to mosquitoes which i growing up never ever we never had issues with mosquitoes out here like we do now it seems I think that's three straight weeks where we led with some sort of mosquito talk. And uh, shout out to the propylene glycol. Is that what you called it? Did I pronounce that right? Propylene yeah, glycol. That, that's, that's the allergen that's uh, that's in it. Yeah, it's uh, Chicker X though is um, you know the the recommended remedy for it. And uh, it sucks because yeah, I mean anything that uh, I mean I I tell you what I recommend just icing them because when I got bit the other night I got bit four times, Chris. I got bit through my pants. And I think even through my shirt when I was in the garage. So sounds like you need thicker pants, dude. Um, yeah. So I was icing those mosquito bites on the second half after the break, 
and it, it helps a lot. Like you're, it, it's, it's, man, you just put ice on it and it uh, really helps with swelling a lot. So anywho, wow, we're way off the rails and we haven't even gotten to our sponsor. Look, I just want to, yeah, I'm sorry. We're off the rails. You're right. Let's just get into it. There's a lot of stuff to talk about. Some uh, official visits that have been scheduled, some decommitment season, new offer, uh, pending commitment or a commitment preview we're doing. You got to talk about your thoughts on the Notre Dame game. There's lots of stuff to talk about. And I do have three new audio drops for this podcast. I don't like to just throw them out there. I have to wait till they can come up organically. So I'm hoping, fingers crossed, that there's a moment where I can drop these three new drops for this week. Yes, but you're right. The sponsor, you know her, you love her. Before we get into everything, we have to shout out the official sponsor of the Composite Two Star Recruits, Meredith Schlosser. One of the top real estate agents in Los Angeles with over $600 million in sales. You can learn more about Meredith and her team at www.meredithschlosser.com. That is S-C-H-L-O-S-S-E-R. And check out her business Instagram at Meredith Real Estate to see all the listings and the postings. And what's going on with the real estate market that she's got going on over there at Meredith Real Estate on Instagram. Again, that's www.meredithschlosser.com. Gerard, cold open. Pretty simple for us. USC was in a battle for a three-star edge rusher out of Gaithersburg, Maryland, Jalen Harvey. That commitment has gone on for quite some time with some deadlines being pushed back, some extra visits being thrown in. Ended up committing to Penn State. Again, this was felt like a USC versus Penn State battle with Maryland kind of jockeying for position in there. All the, the intel and the vibes were coming out were, were the Nittley Lions. Over USC, USC still had a little bit of confidence that they could pull it out in the end. But in the end, Jalen Harvey is going where most people pointed to would be his landing point, And that is Penn State, who's recruiting pretty well, having a really great season overall. They got Ohio State this week, I believe. So big opportunity for them. So Jalen Harvey off the board for USC is going to Penn State. And not, not the best news to handle after a weekend where you just lost to Notre Dame. Yeah, not the best news, not shocking news either. I think really the tide, it sort of turned after his unofficial visit in August for the season opener against San Jose State. There wasn't a ton of optimism that I was getting uh, from my sources kind of close to USC's recruitment. And then, you know, we had some of the comments from Harvey after the visit said it was a good visit. Etc. And I know I've mentioned this a few times, but you know, if uh, he's even they're leaving, uh, mm-hmm. sort of a, a football speak in terms of wide receivers and defensive backs and coverage, but also something that you kind of see a little bit with recruits on official visits or unofficial visits. And if you're trying to sort of close the deal, if a recruit is coming away from that last visit and it's and everybody's even still, you know, I'm still open. And there's no sense, there's no even reading between the lines that there's a lead there now by the school that just hosted him last. It's not usually a good sign. So there was actually not a lot of optimism coming away from that visit. And then obviously he announced he was going to go to Penn State for the wideout game against Iowa, which, you know, Penn State played great in that game, great home environment. And it seemed like the white flag had signed kind of gone up at that point from USC. They go ahead and offer Treefort, three-star Louisiana, edge rusher Gabriel Relifort, who is committed to Texas A&M, and sort of a similar type of player 
to Jalen Harvey. So we kind of talked a little bit about on the podcast, like maybe this is the pivot plan B. And you have to do that before you know for sure that you're going to lose a player. I mean, you don't want to wait. Oh, we lost this guy. Now we have to go look at plan B. You should always have, you know, multiple plans kind of going at the same time and just kind of feeling out, you know, who you like more and who you feel like you're getting good feedback from. So we get uh, to the point where he's going to announce his commitment. And from what I was hearing from my side, there was a little more optimism kind of at the end, uh, because I think that the feeling was, okay, maybe mom is not necessarily going to dictate where he goes specifically. Now I got some conflicting information on both sides of the country, you know, West coast, East coast, people that are close to Jalen, um, people that are covering Jalen's recruitment that are plugged in with some other schools, you know, people on this side of the country that are plugged in with USC, so on and so forth in terms of, you know, where he was leaning and why he was leaning to one school over the other I always got the sense that he really did like USC coming from him specifically. He said, you know, my mom kind of wants me to stay close to home. And I know he has some other people in his circle that were kind of pushing him to stay close to home. And really that was the only reason I think Maryland was mentioned in there. It was sort of out of respect to Mike Loxley and that coaching staff, but it really came down to USC and Penn state. And there was some chatter like, okay, you know, NIL is a factor working for USC. And I said, right then and there, that is not going to close the deal for USC. We know that. We know that USC has been uh, on the the wrong side of those recruitments with several other players here uh, in the summer going into the season. So we sort of know when that's a factor or it's an overriding factor. And I don't know that it was in this case, but if it's a big enough factor, then it's probably not going to work for USC. I think ultimately it was about staying close to home. Penn State's having a good season. You know, one of his best friends uh, that that went to Gaithersburg, um, you know, a local chop Robinson uh, is at Penn State. And he's probably going to be a first round pick for the Nittany Lions. And he's a guy that, you know, was in his year. And interestingly enough, was someone that was looking to potentially transfer to USC. He was at Maryland. He signed with Maryland out of high school as a five-star defensive end and transferred out and took a visit out here to Los Angeles. Now, no one would verify or confirm that he actually officially visited USC as a transfer. Um, It was reported as that, but I, I don't think he was actually officially visiting USC at that point. And a lot of people out of the gates, some of the national writers were like, look for USC here, look for USC. And then that sort of faded and boom, he ended up at Penn State. And so um, that was, uh, you know, a bit of a factor, I think, as well. Um, he's looking at, uh, you know, where he could come in and and play right away and play after. And, and certainly with Chop Robinson probably leaving Penn State after the season, um, that's, you know, the spot that they're basically recruiting him at. So it all sort of made sense. You know, it, it felt like USC was kind of, you know, still in it there at the end. And there was a little bit of optimism, like, you know, we're, we're, we're not out of it. That was basically the, the the vibe that I was getting. That was basically what I was being told was, you know, USC is still in it, but, you know, it certainly was no, USC was, was getting the winks and nods behind the scenes that you would kind of think, okay, there's, there's something more to it where he had committed to Penn state early in the summer after he officially visited Penn state. And it, a lot of people thought he was just going to shut it down and not visit USC. So it was even then where USC was just working, working, working. And I was told USC did an excellent job recruiting. Uh, Lincoln Riley was involved. Um, Roy Manning was involved. 
And, you know, there was nothing but, hey, we really were impressed with the presentation and everything that USC did. Um, but, you know, there's obviously a lot of questions about defense. And, you know, we'll get into that, I'm sure, when we talk a little bit about the Notre Dame game. Uh, but there's also just the factor of, you know, being close to home. And there was an element within his circle that definitely wanted him to, to play closer to home. And it all really lined up for Penn State pretty well there. Gerard, I'm just worried that the loss to Penn State in this recruiting battle is going to come back on me. That's a Maryland kid, Gerard. Everyone looks yeah, to too, me to lock up these kids. I, I'm just, I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna take a beating. I feel like, well, I haven't taken a beating, but I feel like, you know, it's coming for you me. You should, you should take a beating. That's what you feel. You're like, it should be coming. I feel guilty. I'm from Upper Marlboro, which is really not where I'm from. I'm really from Lower Marlboro, but we just say we're from Upper Marlboro because it's a little more fancy. You, yeah, you you don't want to you don't want to mess with Lower Marlboro. Right? That's all I'm saying. You don't want <laughs> to go low. Stay in the upper. <laughs> I don't. Is there a Lower Marlboro? There is not. There is not. There's not Upper There is not mentioned. I wonder why that is. There was a married with children episode, and they went to England, and there was Upper Uncton and Lower Uncton, and it was it was like Upper Uncton was great, it was for the tourists, and you accidentally ended up in Lower Uncton, and you got kidnapped, and it was just, it just reminded me right now of Upper Marlboro, and I go, I wonder if there's a Lower Marlboro. I bet you Chris is lying. He's really from Lower Marlboro, but he just says he's from. All right, Upper I'm ending Marlboro. the podcast. I'm ending the podcast. No more, no more talking about lower the lower the lower <laughs> side. Uh, Gerard, I guess the last point I guess that people want to hear about is. Is this over? Is this done? It sounds like it might be done, right? You barring know, a barring a run. Interestingly, for USC, it's probably done. But I did hear a few times kind of leading up to the announcement, there was some questions like, would it be over? I, I think that was more for like Penn State. You know, Penn State might continue to recruit him and continue to go after him. And because there was the distance factor and there were some things working for them that maybe – USC would stumble and then they would eventually get him on signing day because there's been some odd stuff behind the scenes a little bit with him kind of throwing schools out there randomly, you know, like, oh, Florida all of a sudden was in it for a little bit. And then Florida was like not in it at all. He tweeted at Deion Sanders uh, that, you know, great defensive backs need good pass rushers. And it's like, what, what, where did, where does Colorado have to do with anything? And so he was just kind of riding like the hype train of certain schools that were doing well. And so that sort of signals some people, maybe, you know, there, there, there could be a shift here even after he makes the commitment. I think probably less so for USC now that he's committed to Penn state, it would have been more so if he would have committed to USC, maybe Penn state, or maybe even Maryland. Although I was told it really came down to Penn state and USC. Now, now we're talking about, you know, riding the, the silver lightning or the silver lining, if you will. Uh, I just always say silver lightning because ride the lightning in Metallica. Um, that is maybe some good news in way that Penn State was also trying hard with Elijah Newby, who's the committed linebacker, the four star out of uh, Cheshire, Connecticut. And they're not the same player. I, I mean, I, I don't know necessarily what uh, Penn State's um, vision is for Newby, but they're still hauling him pretty hard. They're trying to get him to officially visit. They're really working to try to get him on campus. And this kind of helps USC a little bit because, I mean, if you get Jalen Harvey, maybe they can use that and say, oh, look at 
pick out this other guy. He's going to play the same position as you. I mean, they're different players in my view. Um, Elijah Newby is a guy that, you know, played some safety and now just recently kind of moved up to playing outside linebacker. But he is probably a rush end in college. He's got to put on weight. He's about 210 right now. Uh, we updated his profile. So he's about 6'4", 210, whereas Harvey's like Harvey's gotten bigger. Like he's 250 now. I mean, when we saw him at the pylon five on five, he was going about 230, 235. He, he had more of a linebacker type body than a defensive lineman type body. But I watched some film of him just recently. And um, yeah, he, he looks a bit stockier and, and looks closer to 250 now. So he might end up being more of a, a defensive lineman, which I don't know if that's a good thing because he doesn't necessarily have the length or the frame of a true defensive lineman. You know, he, he's kind of, like I said, built well, but built a little more like a linebacker uh, than a true defensive lineman or, or a true, like a five technique defensive end, which those guys you usually want to be tall. You know, you want like five techniques to be six, four, six, five. They're going to usually be pretty tall defensive ends. So that's um, something to kind of watch out for, you know, as he uh, progresses and develops, is, is he going to be a guy that's going to actually be able to play on the outside or is he kind of become a little more of an inside guy because you just don't have the length necessarily to be 270 pounds and, and playing a five technique at six foot two. And obviously we'll keep you updated if there's any musings or updates with Jalen Harvey moving forward. But I feel like we've talked about Jalen Harvey so much on this podcast, but it's going to go a little quiet now when you're talking about Jalen Harvey now committed to Penn state and we'll see if that turns up again with the Trojans down the line when we get closer to uh, National Signing Day. Obviously, depending on what USC does in their season and if Penn State ultimately stumbles as well. So we'll keep you updated on that. That actually springboard, springboards us into another defensive prospect that USC has been recruiting for quite some time. Maybe not to the extent of Jalen Harvey because he didn't take an official visit over the summer, but he just scheduled his official visit for next month. I'm talking about Fairfield, California defensive tackle, Jericho Johnson, a consensus four-star prospect, six foot four, 300 pounds, number 107 overall prospect in the 24-7 sports rankings and number 17 defensive lineman, number 119 in 24-7 sports composite. Gerard Jericho Johnson has been a peristyle favorite since Sean Nua offered him many, many months ago. I think that was I think that was in the spring. They got him on campus for an unofficial visit, and you got to talk with him. You got to see him firsthand, but he hasn't been back on campus. You know, this was a guy we talked about many, many times that USC was going to get him on campus for an official visit during the season, and lo and behold, Brendan Huffman wrote a story, put it out there, got that scoop this week that Brent, uh, excuse me, not Brandon Huffman, Jericho Johnson is going to be taking his official visit on November 4th for the big Washington game. He also has scheduled an official visit for Utah for the end of October. And it sounds like USC, Utah, Washington, and Oregon are kind of the big four jockeying for his commitment. So a final run for one Pac-12 school for Jericho Johnson. Jericho Johnson, like I said, has been a peristyle favorite for quite some time. And I know a lot of USC fans would run out of their, their houses and scream to the sky if they got Jericho Johnson because USC needs some big-bodied defensive tackles, especially moving forward in the Big Ten. And obviously, USC's uh, 2024 class could use some more juice on the defensive line. Now, Gerard, very risky 
to schedule an official visit for a game against an undefeated surging for a top five team in Washington. Yeah, uh, I think, you know, it's uh, projecting a little bit of confidence with USC because Washington's a player for him. I think Washington early on may even had a lead because he was pretty familiar with the coaching staff and he'd been up there. Uh, USC really impressed him during the spring. And he gives you the vibe that, you know, he is looking at the academic side of things. He's looking at the student life side of things. And he really enjoyed Los Angeles and he just kind of enjoyed the vibe at USC being a city school. And so, you know, USC made a big move with him then, but it was a matter of like getting him on campus multiple times and him being comfortable with the coaching staff. And, you know, you need to be on campus for that to happen. And so they haven't had him on campus very much unofficially. So that's been a bit of an issue. A lot of people at this point feel like Oregon is a leader. Oregon just got the commitment of Aiden Breland, the five-star defensive tackle from modern day. Um, you know, on film, I, I, I like Jericho Johnson a little more. Uh, we've often talked about Aiden Breland on paper was a must get for USC, right? He was just a must get in terms of being a local player at a former pipeline school in modern day and being a big body in USC just doesn't really have a lot of options when it comes to interior defensive linemen. I mean, that's, one of the biggest issues that USC has had really under the Lincoln Riley era at this point, if there's a criticism, it's just not having enough good options. I mean, I think what they had maybe two guys uh, that were on campus last cycle that could play defensive interior. Um, and that's including Mateo Uyangalale. And then the other one was Edric Hill who committed to Alabama. And then this past summer, you know, you, you just don't have enough, big time interior defensive linemen that are getting on campus for those official visits. So if you miss out on your first, your first plan, a basically uh, you're, you're really kind of scrambling a little bit. And so uh, last season uh, or last cycle, I should say USC was able to go ahead and offer Dijon Lafitte out of Conley high school, a local kid, a big body, and, and showed a lot of promise. And he, and he got some scholarship offers from some other schools. They're able to lock him up. There hasn't been anybody that's popped up on the radar for them thus far that's been the same. So, again, you're kind of putting all your eggs in, in just a few baskets. Uh, Breland didn't have USC uh, in his final uh, group of schools. Really, I mean, I don't know if he's been on campus at USC since January. I mean, Aiden Breland just wasn't really a factor um, in USC's recruitment of uh, getting guys on campus over the summer and kind of, you know, filtering through. But as I said before, I mean, if we're being straight up honest, evaluation wise, you know, Breland has not been a super impactful player for modern day. Um, and, uh, you know, Jericho Johnson has been for his high school. And when you watch the film, you just see a little more movement, uh, a little more explosiveness. Now, granted, you're playing at completely different levels. Um, you know, if you pop Aiden Breland on that team up there in Fairfield and you put Jericho Johnson in modern day, you know, is it different? You know, because Jericho Johnson's got good players around him. You know, you can argue that all day long, you know, in, in circles about, well, he's playing against better competition. Well, he's also playing with better players around him. Uh, but if you're playing against weird competition, you don't have those good players around you and you're getting double team, triple team, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So, you you know. Pick your argument. It just depends on, you know, how you want to see it. And is the glass half full or is the glass half empty? Right now, they are recruiting Jericho Johnson. He is the number one target uh, among high school defensive linemen. 
And I think USC's got a chance. And, and they will have a much better chance if they're able to take care of business against Washington. You know, you go out there and you beat an undefeated Washington team at home. That would be probably the biggest win in the Lincoln Riley era, uh, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, they, they really haven't had any big national wins. You know, you lost the bowl game, you lost in the Pac-12 championship. So those national televised big games, um, that's really what we're kind of waiting to see. How close is USC? You know, we saw them last weekend. You know, they, they played against the LK Notre Dame team and they weren't ready for prime time. And so we have to see how they play here as we get through this meat of the schedule. And they're going to have Jericho Johnson there uh, on campus for that official visit uh, for a pretty big game. And so, you know, a game that's big for USC, just, you know, across the board period as a team, but also big because they are going to be playing against a direct competitor for his commitment. So, yeah, it's it's pretty huge. And like you said, there is a risk factor there because you can kind of take yourself out of um, the running there. But you know what? If USC loses that game or, or, or plays badly in that game, then it is what it is, whether he's on campus or not. You know, it's going to maybe affect you know how he feels about USC and the future development of the defensive line, et cetera. So, you know, get him on campus when you can. It, it does sound like Oregon's going to get his last visit. So a lot of people are very wary of that. You know, Oregon has definitely out-recruited USC here, uh, particularly this cycle uh, in the high school ranks. Um, USC's kind of evened it up a little more when you look at the overall rankings and you take into consideration the transfers. But we know, I mean, according to Lincoln Riley, as he said himself, they want to start leaning more on high school football recruiting. You know, the transfer portal was more about trying to turn over the roster as quickly as possible build that culture and then start to recruit harder from the high school ranks. Maybe that was just lip service. You know, maybe they, they really intend on making, you know, half of their class each year, the transfer portal. Um, but uh, right now uh, in terms of uh, defensive linemen and getting guys that you can bring in early that are good players that you can develop, they've been few and far between for USC and cer- certainly with uh, Jericho Johnson uh, he will be the biggest prize that uh, basically USC has recruited uh, the past two cycles. Are you a yay or nay for in-season official visits? Um, yeah, I think you have to have them. I, I think you have to have them these days, uh, mainly because of the early signing period and the fact that there's just not a ton of time after this season. Now, this season is unique because they kind of have that bye week after the UCLA game. So you do get kind of an extra week in there where you could get recruits in and that can be big, you know, to have that little extra week, you could have a pretty big official visit weekend. The thing is, how many options does USC really have uh, at the high school ranks right now? I mean, how many guys are actually open to taking official visits? You're obviously having to recruit a lot of guys that are already committed to other schools. Jericho Johnson is one of the very few players that USC is recruiting that hasn't already committed to a school. So we are seeing that evolution with NIL and the early signing period and a lot of these guys getting their decisions done during the summer. We're kind of getting some data now as to how much does that lock in guys in, you know, how much of a factor is that? Is there still a, a genuine flip season? Is there still going to be a good number of decommitments that come as we get here at the end of this month into November, you know? Um, but 
in terms of just like looking at the board and how it looks, at least at face value, there's just not a ton of options. I mean, usually if we go back to the peak era, you know, when you had the later signing period, I mean, the one of the biggest recruiting weekends of the year was the Notre Dame or UCLA weekend at the end of the year. Last year, USC really used that as a junior, um, kind mm-hmm. of a junior day almost weekend. You know, they had a bunch of guys come in from the 2024 class when they were recruiting the 2023 class. And there really weren't a whole lot of guys that were coming from that actual class that was going to sign. It was just the commitments already. So that's been an obvious change in the years here uh, with the early signing period and what have you. And I think that, yeah, you do have to bring guys in during the season. You kind of have to pick and choose. And I, I don't, I'm not a big fan of the huge recruiting weekends, unless you are absolutely positive you're going to blow somebody out. I think it's very, very dangerous because there's a lot of time that has to go into talking to those recruits. You want to have meetings with them. You want to talk with their families. You don't want them to just kind of be a distraction as you're trying to prepare for game week. And then it's like Sunday and it's like, okay, you guys are flying out when? Oh, in a few hours. Oh, well, let's have breakfast and, and we're going to talk about how we really want you. You know, you really want to spend. You don't want to half-ass it. You don't want to Yeah, yeah. You want to spend time, you know, focusing and, and really kind of getting personal with the recruits. And, and you know, there, there's a double-edged sword to that, though, because, I mean, there is some impact into having the recruits in and having them go through the meetings and seat preparation and, and all that stuff that that can be important too on a game day. Um, and I know USC has also been very sort of hesitant. And this even goes back to the Pete Carroll era of bringing guys in for games, which, you know, you are going to blow out players, right? Uh, excuse me, but you're going to blow out the the opposing team and you, you, you maybe have that confidence, but the problem is the environment's not going to be that great. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's like, you're kind of like, okay, well, you know, we can pick this weekend. We're not, we we're projecting that we're going to do okay. You know, we're, we're, we're it's not going to be, we're going to have to focus so much on the game and everything that's going into the game. It's going to be crazy. It's a weekend where we feel like, you know what, we, we can spend some time with the recruits. It'll be okay. But then, you know, is the environment going to be there? And are you like setting yourself up for some negative recruiting because, you know, this, the stadium isn't completely full and people are leaving at halftime, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, you, there is that little bit of an argument, but I, I think that you have enough, you know, two, three recruits um, on a weekend here and a weekend there, maybe a couple weekends, you know, you pick a game where it's going to be a nice environment. Yeah. I, I I'm, I'm pro on that. I, I just, you know, having eight plus guys on a weekend when you're playing against a team that, you know, there's a, just, you need to focus on that game week, like that needs to be the focus. You've got a top 25 team coming in. Um, you know, don't, don't, don't be spending it, you know, with the, with the recruits on Friday night when you should be in meetings with your players sort of thing. Right. So, um, yeah, there, there's an argument for both ways, but I think now with everything, um, being done so early and it's just, there's so little time between the end of the season, coaching changes, everything going on. And then signing day, I think you do have to get your foot in the door and make sure that you at least showed something. Like if you don't have a guy, if you have a guy that's on the top of your board, you couldn't bring him in during the summer for whatever reason, but you have a chance to bring him in later on in the season. Yeah. You, you got to do it. You, you got to make sure that you got a weekend or something that you can bring him in. Jericho Johnson on track to be the third official visitor for USC during the season. Now, 
as we have not heard that there will be visitors this coming weekend. So it's kind of like uh, come and go. We'll see who shows up. And again, we're back in the Coliseum. So I'll have a pretty good visitor list on hands. We got a surprise official visitor last time. So we'll see if that we'll see anyone pop up. But as of right now, do not expect no official visitors. No, yeah, no, official they'll visitors. be they'll be unofficial visitors. But yes, yeah, yes. right now it doesn't look like there'll be any official visitors this weekend. And again, you know, if you're projecting preseason, you're going Utah game. <laughs> they beat us twice last year. All right, all hands on deck. We need we need we need to figure out how to beat Utah. We we don't need five recruits on campus, and you know what I mean. That's that's the thing. It's like in terms of like what the staff wants to focus on. I I totally understand in a game week where you're like that's. That's a game that you circle and, and and no coaches will ever admit it. You know, every game is the same sort of thing. And, you know, Pete used to always say, you know, every game is the same. There's no up and down. There are no big games during the season. He used to always preach. There's no big games during the season. He wanted his team at an 11 all the time. Every game is the same. There's just no rivalries. They, they, he did not want to recognize that sort of ebb and flow to the season but we all know the reality is there's ebb and flow. And if there's rivals or there's teams that beat you or somebody comes in with a big ranking and you're the underdog, it's always going to have a little bit of a sway on how your team mentally maybe prepares a little bit. You know, you do your best as a coaching staff not for that to happen. Like you really try to say, listen, you need to be at this level all the time. It doesn't matter who's in town, but inevitably it goes up and down a little bit. And so, I just think in terms of time and, you know, having everybody organized and everything. Yeah, there's a lot of time that goes into recruiting visits. If it's one recruit, maybe not so much. If it's, you know, I like I said, two or three, ah, you're, you're, you're good. But you start getting into five, six guys. You've got families and you got 40, 50 people. <laughs> that are running around that you're you're trying to entertain and you're trying to engage with and and you know try to read and you know it's it's a much bigger um chore and and, and I know you know Annie Hansen and, and and her team they do a lot of the hosting and they and they're able to get people from point A to pay, uh, point B but you know, Annie isn't teaching anybody how to back paddle. <laughs> She's not teaching anybody how to catch the football or how to sack the, the quarterback or, or et cetera. At the end of the day, there has to be that relationship, that personal relationship with the position coaches and the head coach. And there needs to be, you know, a blueprint there for, you know, what's your vision for me as a football player? And and then there's the academic side. The coaches don't have to be super, you know, involved with all that. That kind of happens. They go visit whatever deans of whatever college, you know, whether it's the business school, et cetera. Um, but, you know, football is still king when it comes to official visits. And it comes to these decisions and, and where these kids want to go. You know, there's, there's those kids that genuinely talk about academics and their families are really serious about academics. Like I tell you, man, it's that's the minority. That's definitely the minority. The majority of kids are looking for NFL development. There's some kids, and it's a growing number, that are looking for NIL deals. And what do you got? What, what do you got for me? Um, and and then there's this sort of like, you know, can I come in and play early? Um, am I going to be able to win? And, and winning these days, I think, is more about the stability of the coaching staff. I think a lot of kids are like, you know. If you're losing football games, is this coaching staff going to be here next year? And that hurt USC a lot with Clay Helton because there was always that like, okay, there's an eight, there's an eight four season, and then we're going to have like a five win season coming up, and then there's going to be a nine win season, and then there's maybe going to be a seven win season, and there's all this like, you know, what's the game 
what's the season, what's the number of wins or losses that are going to get Clay Helton fired. And that just it had this cloud of instability over the football program for the longest time. And it's now completely just about the wins and losses. It's also about, you know, other college coaches that, that are recruiting those kids are like, yeah, but why would you go there? He's going to be fired next year. You know, so that's something that at least now with Lincoln Riley and this staff, that's that's not a question. You know, that's not like um, they're they're still in a rebuild, you know, and the coaches are still selling the rebuild. They're still talking about the rebuild. Lincoln Riley, we've mentioned this time, time, time and time again, kind of hasn't given himself um, any leeway. You know, he hasn't done himself any favors in terms of lowering expectations with the fan base. But when they talk to the kids. Uh, they've talked about this is year two of the rebuild. You know, we're, we're, we're still shuffling guys in and out. We're still trying to figure out what works. And I think that 11 win season definitely is a little bit of a detriment to that at face value. And certainly with the fan base, uh, but not so much with the recruits, you know, the recruits, because they have that sort of personal relationship with the coaches and they talk directly to these coaches. They just get a different vibe and a different message, you know, than I think, you know, most of the fans get. When, you know, they see Lincoln up there and he's like, we want to win right, right, right away. And and then they do, you know, they win 11 games and it's like, oh, my God, well, here we go. College football playoff next. And you know, obviously it may not be out how it turns out. We were talking about one of the top uncommitted players in the country and Jericho Johnson. Let's go to another uncommitted player, but a player that just went back on the market. Yes, I'm talking about Silsby, four star wide receiver Draylon Miller, who officially decommitted from Texas A&M this week. He was spotted visiting LSU this past weekend. Now, Gerard, we talked about Draylon Miller a lot over the summer. It's fair to say USC finished as a runner-up in his his, uh, recruitment to the Aggies, but we said it then when he committed, like, hey, Texas A&M has the pressure now. They have to perform on offense. They have to show they are better than last season. And uh, they are not better than last season, especially on offense. They just lost to Tennessee, two-game losing streak. We'll talk about that at the end. But it appears the uh, the unsuccessful season that uh, Texas A&M is undergoing on offense and in general under Jimbo Fisher has done enough to uh, make Draylon Miller really look around. As I mentioned, he was up at LSU last weekend. I know they're going to be a player there. His father already came out and said that you know he expects – USC to be in the mix, too. Sounds like they're going to get a visit down the line. USC is in contact. Georgia also in the works there. Colorado is a name that's popped up, and his uh, father said they are open to any and all schools. So I think uh, Draylon Miller is is is, uh, is about to enter his second wind of co- wind of commitment as, he, as we move forward towards uh, National Signing Day, early signing day in December. But USC, big wide receiver, back on the board and possibly a guy they can uh, get back on campus and maybe uh, impress a little bit, Gerard. Yeah. A guy that we've, we've spoken about really kind of even just recently looking at the receiver board and knowing there are some positions which USC has gone into plan B and even plan C. And there have been additional scholarship offers that have gone out there. So you're trying to expand the board, give yourself, more options and wide receiver has not been one of those positions wide receiver USC has sort of doubled down and you kind of read it between the lines that they feel like they can still work 
the board as it stood during the summer. Uh, even though you have guys like Draylon Miller and Mike Matthews uh, commit and go to other schools, Bryant Wesco committed to Clemson, there probably was still contact there. And there still was a feeling like, okay, you know, there's there's a second chance here. As you said, Draylon gets his second wind in the recruiting process. And this is bigger than just Draylon Miller. As I said before, it's another data point, which we kind of look to in the NIL era. It's the infancy of the NIL era. And this was one of those recruitments that was very NIL driven. We said that before he committed, well before he committed and when he committed and after he committed. And that's still going to be a factor. And that's still going to be a factor that USC has to negotiate to be seriously involved here. Um, they were the runner-up, but LSU it recruits that area really well in South Texas. They were a pretty big factor for a while. Miami was in there as well. And it kind of came down to USC and Texas A&M late, but I think at that point it was kind of Texas A&M and Texas A&M. He has the best relationship, I think, my vibe with the Trojan coaching staff. And he feels like in terms of development and in terms of exposure, showcasing his talents, he knows USC is the best bet. But as I said, there are other factors that are involved here. But from a bigger picture standpoint, is another sort of, you know, check towards the NIL preseason summer deals don't matter as much as maybe we thought they did. You know, because there's other recruits, Francis Malago, the five-star offensive tackle out of IMG, played out here at St. Aquinas High School in San Bernardino for a while. He was a guy, we heard a lot about NIL, we heard a lot about, um, you know, deals being made. Uh, when he committed, before he even enrolled with Miami. And he, despite Miami being completely awful, and they're awful again this year, uh, just no no wavering whatsoever. And you kind of wonder, well, okay, what's 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 that NIL deal? You know, is there a contract there? Is there something there's, there? There's which, no NIL. He's got love for coach. So, <laughs> I got love for coach. Um, you know, that, that sort of locked him in. And now with Draylon Miller and and we've seen, you know, some other cases, uh, Jaden Rashada was another one. He was a quarterback that was committed to Miami. The news committed to Florida and ended up at Arizona state. It, it looks like those type of recruitments, you can still dislodge that commitment during the season, which is good news for USC because I've often said, you know, if USC, they're not doing NIL deals. There's not talk of, what we can do for you before you sign, before you enroll. USC strategy to this point from everything that I've garnered philosophically is we're dealing with the guys on our roster and we're dealing with transfers because transfers are going to directly go right to USC. There's no commitment. And then, okay, you know, I've got three months until I actually sign anything. So it's a different story with transfers and the, idea that you know you don't want to like negotiate deals with guys in july that aren't going to sign until december i mean it's sort of holding true a little bit that's the smart way to do business you know you you're not really getting anywhere now there are other cases you know there's other instances where guys commit and they stay committed and it's like you know that school was able to to get the nil deal going and whatever it was it 
it it locked that kid in right then and there. And USC has been on the odd. Uh, they've been outside looking in on those type of recruitments. They lost guys. You know, Manase Tite, we've talked about many times on this podcast, an NIL type driven recruitment where they had him committed. And then, you know, a month and a half later, he decides, oh, you know, I'm going to go to Florida State. Dead period. Didn't visit anywhere, but just all of a sudden, no, Florida State, uh, I, 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 I got mixed up. You know, Florida State was actually where I wanted to go along. Um, so, you know, there, there are those instances and, you know, USC, I actually don't know. I haven't, I haven't really asked, um, any sources lately about Manasseh Tete. I kind of felt like that ship had sailed, you know, cause really leading up to his official visit to USC, it was all Florida state. It was Miami. USC was like fourth on the list from the people I talked to, uh, even talking to Brandon Huffman, who is, you know, covered him and has been, you know, pretty good with talking to Manasseh specifically, just directly. Um, it was always this school, that school, that school, and then USC. And so, yeah, it was a shocker when he committed to USC. And I don't know that USC's continued to make any kind of push in that direction. Um, we'll talk a little bit about Justin Tanau and that recruitment and how, you know, there's another kid that's committed, not a NIL driven recruitment, but committed to Stanford. And, you know, that might be where USC's pivoting instead because, you know, the Manasseh Tete train has, has left the station. Um, but so that, so there's these different instances and you're, you're just trying to kind of build a little bit of a picture as to what are we looking at when we get out of summer? You know, are, are we looking, okay, this is the class. Basically, the, the current class when we get into September is sort of formulated and there's not going to be a bunch of decommitments or are we still going to see uh flip season? And, and if there's coaching changes, if you know teams are leaving um, uh, coaches and, and trying to get out of, you know, whatever extensions. And that's a big question, obviously with Jimbo Fisher is you know, he's got this massive extension you know, or this, or this massive buyout, I should say, um, you know, can they make that buyout and actually go after somebody uh, who's kind of want, you know, another, a, a good buyout too. You there was a, uh, there was national reporting that they would find the money, Gerard. Texas yeah. would find the money if they decided to do that. Everybody can find the money. You know, these boosters have egos and they like to talk the talk and, you know, it's a little bit different uh, saying that out loud and then actually writing that check and then turning out, uh, turning around and having to write a check to somebody else for that same amount, knowing the same thing could happen again. I mean, you know, unless you just got money to burn, um, I don't think so. So uh, we'll see what happens with with that whole situation. But, you know, with Draylon Miller, this is this is, again, a, a bigger picture wise. This is kind of a good sign for USC. And, and by the way, you've also got Ty Anthony Smith there, the linebacker out of Jasper, Texas, who's a, a player that USC went after hard, too. I mean, they really wanted him as a will linebacker next to Kingston. Baleamuasa committed to Notre Dame. So, you know, there's there's maybe even two players here that, you know, have committed and it kind of seemed like, OK, is that them locked in the A&M no matter what? Or could there be some movement here? And we've already seen it with Draylon Miller. Obviously, it's a little more difficult sell for USC on the defensive side of the ball just because the defensive side of the ball hasn't played all that well. And there's still questions of development, et cetera, et cetera. But offensively, you know, even with the, the recent struggles of, of, of Caleb Williams and really the offensive line, um, there's still a pretty impressive offense. And there's still a hell of a resume that Lincoln Riley can just put out there. And so I think with Miller, yes, USC is definitely in it. They've got competition. They should be able to get him on campus here um, in the near future. Uh, there's a lot of confidence there. And they'll take it at that point to see where, you know, they kind of 
are and and what other suitors come in to play? Because, you know, a lot of people would say, well, okay, you were the runner-up before you committed to Texas A&M. So that means you just go to USC now, right? It's not the way it always works Yeah, that makes sense, right? (laughs) That makes sense. I mean, you know, USC was the runner-up for Dylan Riola when he first committed to Ohio State. And then, you know, he reopened his recruitment and then he went to Georgia because Georgia got in the mix. So, you know, these type of things, you never know. Colorado gets in the mix and it's like all of a sudden Colorado throws something at him. And it's just like, oh, well, you know, I'm going to look at Colorado now or maybe another school that wasn't originally involved with him. You mentioned Georgia. You know, Georgia wasn't a school that was really involved with Draylon Miller uh, during the offseason. But maybe they get involved now. So we'll see. You know, it's certainly not a gimme. It's not a layup. It's not. You know, he's oh, he's just going to go to USC now. Um, I know that would be the assumption. I think USC's got a good shot at him, but there's still going to be some recruitment uh, left before he's he's going to lock it down to make a decision. Obviously, it would be big getting Draylon Miller, obviously committed, but also just on campus. I wonder when that would happen. Sounds like maybe, and not sounds like, but it feels like maybe that's a a UCLA weekend kind of visit for Draylon Miller, see the excitement around campus. But again, uh, reporting from uh, Mike Roach uh, through his father says that they are going to be looking at other schools, and it sounds like USC is going to get a visit. I'm going to sneeze right now. <laughs> Bless you. Well, I, I, will, I will interject also Thank you. that Save me. Um, you know, the later visit, probably the better. If USC learned anything from his recruitment, Taking an 11th hour unofficial visit to Texas A&M for a few hours because uh, they were down um, at College Station. His team was playing in the seven on seven tournament. Um, that was enough. You know, he had not taken uh, his uh, official visit to Texas A&M and it was just an unofficial visit that he took uh, after taking an official visit to USC. And that um, I, don't, I don't know if I would say it flipped him, but I mean, it was enough. It flipped Ty Anthony Smith. I mean, he admitted that he was silently committed to USC up until that point. And I think Draylon Miller definitely gave USC tons of, um, you know, fuzzies and butterflies and feelings like, okay, you know, we really feel good about this kid. But I, I mean, from where I was sitting, there was always that sort of, okay, you know, we're going to, we're going to see what happens because NIL, NIL is going to be a, a big factor here. And, and that was still at the time when you felt some confidence because Manasseh Atete had committed USC. And that was an example yeah. of an NIL-driven recruitment where USC got him. So it's like, well, well, they were aggressive in that particular recruitment. So, but uh, I think, you know, we were pretty confident there at the end. Like, eh, he's going to, it sounds like he's going to go to Texas A&M. And then that was kind of writing on the wall, I think, for Manasseh Atete. Um, very interesting. I mean, like I said, we're in the infancy of the NIL era and, and how it impacts. And, you know, I know there's a lot of questions out there about it. I got questions about it, man. You know, it's, uh, it's economics, it's finances. It's a lot of stuff that, you know, people are just not going to talk about openly and, uh, you know, what's, what's against the rules, what's not against the rules, you know, what's, um, you know, what, what are your rules? Your rules are not really the law. I've heard that a little bit, you know, coming from uh, players and recruits like, well, the NCAA can have whatever rules that they want. But at the end of the day, you know, they're not my rules. I'm not signing up for those rules. When you're in high school, you're not. You know, the NCAA doesn't have any uh, 
authority over you when you're in high school. They don't only have some authority over you when you are in a college because they have authority, obviously, over the universities themselves. So it's it's a weird sort of thing, you know, when kids are already at that point where they're in high school and they're getting NIL and whether it's NIL, you know, for what they're doing in high school from local businesses or what have you, or it's just boosters kind of using shell companies to try to gain influence to be able to kind of sway them to one school or another. Before we get too deep into the NIL weeds, because I know it's going to, I know it's (laughs) the deep dish of NIL before it gets a little too uh, deep, I guess, down to the uh, upper, upper and lower Marlboros. Let's transition to another guy who USC Maybe trying to flip, maybe a guy who was also looking around, maybe will be back on the board officially. That's USC's new 2024 defensive line offer to three-star defensive lineman Elias Williams out of Hudson High School in Florida. Three-star prospect in our rankings, number 52 defensive lineman, a four-star composite in the 24-7 sports composite, 377 overall, number 41 defensive lineman. He is a hard commitment to the Missouri targets, but I don't know how hard that commitment is because it looks like he is taking a look around six foot four, 270 pounds committed to Missouri back in September before he made that commitment. He also picked up some offers from South Carolina, from Alabama. So he had some growing interest. LSU recently offered at the end of September. Then USC has obviously offered here this week. So USC making a little play out of Florida for Elias Williams. And again, seems like he is taking a look around. Did recently take an unofficial visit to see Tennessee. He is scheduled to get back on Missouri's campus, but he's now looking at setting up some official visits down the line. Maybe USC can sneak in there and grab one, send him out to Los Angeles, kind of similar to Florida, except for the humidity. So We'll see if Sean Nua can do his thing and maybe get Mr. Elias Williams on campus for a game. Gerard, I know you watched the film. We watched a little bit of the – I watched a little bit of the film. Didn't have much tape for this year. I think he only had like two game packages from this year. Did watch a little bit of his junior highlights. He looks like a man among boys, Gerard, out there on the field. Yeah, competition level is a little eh, but what I like, he's tall. Uh, he's got length. He's got very long arms. You can just even see that on film in terms of his uh, ability to set um, up the blocker and, and kind of shed him and, and keep distance. Uh, you know, this is a scholarship offer that you kind of would have liked to have seen like over the summer from USC. And that's kind of sure. what I'm talking about in terms of like cultivating options, not just, you know, one guy, two guy, and and, and hoping, oh, you know, Edric Houston's going to be our guy. We're going to bring him in in May, and that's our guy. And then it's like, okay, so that was a long shot, and he went somewhere else. What else do you have for me? You know, you got to have more of these position players on campus on the defensive line. And so, you know, Elias Williams looks like a good player. You know, he's a three-star, 24-7 sports-centric ranked three-star but composite four star. And, and I can, I can see the potential there. You know, he, uh, like I said, has the length at six four two seventy, which is good. You know, he's not like a sawed off interior defensive lineman. He plays a lot of five technique end, does play a little bit inside and he gets off blocks and he is blocked. I mean, he is seeing 
um, you know, double teams. And, you know, sometimes you see guys film and they have the easiest sacks in the world. And it's like, okay, well, nobody touched him. Like, I mean, that's great. He's got eight sacks, but gosh, can I see him actually disengage from a block? Can I see him actually shed, use some technique, use some strength, like something? You see that with with this kid on film. He's got um, a, a good feel for getting off blocks. He runs down some plays. Uh, from, you know, being like completely out of the play and then running down the field. I would actually say, you know, from some advice to him, if 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 he was listening, I would say, Elias, you got to put some of these highlights up in the, in the front of your film. He's got some stuff buried in the middle of his film that's like really good highlights of him running down plays, showing some relentless, relentlessness, getting some catches. He plays a little bit of tight end as well. Just, you know, in terms of like showing his athleticism, some of that stuff is buried. You're kind of getting, you know, the first few clips are just like, I don't know, he's just kind of going by guys and what have you. You have to kind of watch the film a little bit to see him. He wants and- to see who's really watching the film, Gerard. He's got to get to the good stuff. You got to wait three minutes to get to the good stuff. Well, that's why Missouri, I mean, evidently they they locked in on him early and were able to get him committed. As you said, uh, by definition, not a solid commitment, not a hard, hard commitment, commitment. Hard, hard commitment. commitment. I never liked that hard, soft, uh, you know, medium, whatever. Flaccid uh, commitment. He, he, he's, uh, he, he's taken other visits. Um, he did go and, and check out Tennessee, so – you know, obviously they got a little bit of a, a leg up on everybody right now. USC coming in with the scholarship offer late. So we'll see if they're able to get him on campus, if there's some type of angle there or what have you. But I mean, a, a decent player, you know, certainly USC's pivoting a little bit. They're, they're, they're trying to figure out, okay, you know, we're missing out on some guys. Uh, you got to have some plan B's here. And, um, but I, I do like, you know, physically, where it's headed now, you know, you, you don't want USC to get him signed. And then the next thing you hear during spring ball about him getting the 250 because he's going to play stand up outside linebacker. Uh, <laughs> this is a guy that you want to see, you know, at 285. You know, you want to see him his sophomore year at 285 and gaining weight and getting stronger and playing on the interior and using those long arms and password situations. But, um, yeah, like what I see from him on film, uh, I like. I, I think he's a little bit underrated by 24 7 right now. Do you like the offer? You just wish it would have come in the summer, spring time. Yeah, you you just you know you you want to see USC get on some guys that they just like, and maybe they're not ranked the highest, but you see that they like them and they're aggressive um, in that space. And it's 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 not maybe Plan A for a bunch of other schools, but it's sort of like this is what USC sees and this is what they like, as opposed to being a little bit like you know we like a top guy and that one top guy. We're going to recruit until he goes somewhere else. And then we're going to figure it out like a couple months later what our numbers are like and if we need to go after other guys. It's a little reactive right now. You know, you would like to see four or five guys that are interior defensive lineman prospects on campus during the summer taking official visits. Like, you know, get more guys. You just need more bodies, you know, from a from an option standpoint. And they just really – as I said, last two cycles, I mean, you really only had two guys that are true interior defensive line prospects that officially visited USC during the summer. Um, that's just not enough. You you need to have more of those guys on campus um, to to just, you know, have some have some shots, you know. And, and again, we're seeing where guys can commit. And then perhaps even with all the NIL and everything else, you still can play your way, perhaps 
uh, during the season into getting another visit down the line and being able to flip somebody. Um, Draylon Miller already took his official visit to USC. He's going to be on back on campus. It's going to be an unofficial visit. But, you know, unofficial visits, official visits these days with NIL and everything else going on, it's it's a much easier to get those repeat visits. And so there are some guys, you know, that they they have done that with that, you know, have not been super highly ranked guys. I mean, look at Brian Jackson. There's a great example. You know, Brian Jackson wasn't a guy that had a bunch of scholarship offers uh, from Big 12 schools. You know, I mean, Texas kind of was looking at him a little bit. I don't think they even really offered him. They might they they maybe offered him. Um, I don't think Texas A&M did. Um, Oklahoma, I don't think they did. Uh, but in terms of who was seriously recruiting him, it, I mean, it was a lot of the sort of uh, lesser schools in that area. But USC is like, hey, that's a guy that we really like. You know, he just he fits whatever we're looking at, whatever we want him for. He was a plan A for them, even though he's a three star, even though he's rated as like an athlete, not even a running back still by 24-7 sports. That was a guy that they liked and they went after aggressively and they got his, you know, commitment. I mean, even if you don't get a commitment, you're still looking at it going, OK, that was a first that was an evaluation guy that regardless of of stars or whatever, they went after and they liked. And you just have to have a greater, a bigger pool of those type of players on the defensive line and maybe even the offensive line to some extent. They, you know, we talked about it, not to beat a dead horse to death here, but, you know, kind of telling some offensive linemen, hey, you know, you need to be ready to commit if you're going to visit because we got other guys. And it's like, yeah, you don't you don't need to eliminate your options that early on, man. They're, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens after the end of the summer and, and kind of see what the numbers look like. Like, give yourself an opportunity. If, if yeah, we really only want to take four, but you got six guys that you like and you feel can play for you, you take six, six commitments and then you let the season go through and you and you figure out, you know, at the end of the, the day, you got to make some calls and say, listen, you know, uh, we don't have enough room right now. And it's a tough call to make, but. You know, those kids are going to do the same thing if you're losing games, you know, <laughs> at the end of the year. It's like, hey, you know, Draylon Miller is like, hey, you know, uh, I'm not really sure about what's going on with this offense right now. It, it kind of looks exactly like last year's, even though you got Bobby Petrino as a as offensive coordinator. So I think I want to go look around and, you know, I, I got some doubts. You know, you, you're going to be on the end of that as a university or the kid's going to be on the end of that. It just it's just business, man. That's just how it goes these days. Williams has is is off to a pretty good senior year through six games. He has 22 total tackles, six tackles for loss with four sacks. So he also has seven QB hurries, two forced fumbles, three fumble recoveries, and four passes broken up with one field goal block. Last year he recorded 51 tackles, 13 and a half tackles for a loss, 29 QB hurries, and seven sacks. So pretty productive player. Also has some uh, unique athleticism because he plays tight end, and he's also a basketball player, so pretty good-looking athlete. Gerard, I think we can now move on to the final two topics of our first half of our show. I'm going to kind of combine them, sort of, because they're actually be going going to be going against each other this week on Friday, and it's a game I'll probably be at. That is low-style quarterback Isaiah Rubin, who is set to make his college commitment this Friday at his high school, and the other one, not making his commitment, already committed. Huntington Beach offensive tackle Justin Taunau currently committed to Stanford, who took an official visit to USC for the Arizona game. We still feel good about a potential flip from Stanford to USC, but these guys going head-to-head, maybe future teammates, Gerard. 
Yeah, and um, not really much of an update from the past couple weeks. It's interesting that, you know, Isaiah Rubin, you know, Utah's kind of the other school that's been involved with them, and you think he might maybe wait to see what happens with the Utah-USC game. Uh, He's going to announce at his high school right before that game against Huntington Beach Friday. So, um, yeah, still sounds like uh, USC is uh, the the school to beat in that recruitment. And, um, you know, we actually have some film uh, of him uh, this season, a little compilation film that uh, we will put up uh, Thursday. And um, I think we got Shotgun Spratling going to his game uh, this Friday. So we've seen a lot. I'm going as well. Uh, perhaps, yeah. So, I mean, we've seen a lot of uh, Isaiah Rubin, and we haven't seen much of Justin Ta'anau. Um, We saw some, you know, during the off season, but we haven't seen a whole lot of him during the season. So, it'll be good to get a little isolation film on him, kind of see how he's playing against Los Al. Los Al's going to be the favorite team, you know, uh, by probably a, a few touchdowns. Um, so, it will be good competition, you know, to see him going against those athletes on the other side of the football and just kind of see how he's developed uh, again. Kind of feel pretty good about USC's place with him right now. Um, but, uh, you know, there's there's a little bit more recruiting that has to go on. He has not decommitted from Stanford yet, just to make that uh, abundantly clear. But I think it's going to be probably a commit, decommit kind of all in one foul swoop, you know. They did get that big Colorado win, though, Gerard. They did. Uh, but I think. You know, USC has been kind of like the childhood favorite and um, family another, USC fans. We talked about that last. Yeah, week. we, we again, you know, it's, we've, I think the last couple of weeks, I will say that uh, that's an example of a player that they could have brought in during the summer and had the visit and probably could have got him committed. And I understand, you know, they've got numbers and they're like, hey, you know, we got our numbers uh, or we're going to have our numbers here shortly. Um but, you know, it, 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 it could have been probably a done deal over the summer and then they wouldn't, you know, necessarily. I, it, that's, that's, but that's the argument, right? Because you can say, well, you can maybe ruffle some feathers or there's something going on because you're taking commitments after you've already taken commitments. And you're like, you know, you're telling people like this is the numbers we're looking at. And all of a sudden now you've got six in class instead of the four. And maybe that ruffles some feathers with the guys that you have and maybe, you know, some of the top guys at your board. You would think in terms of philosophy is if there's a guy that's at the top of our board that's worried about some other three star guy that we got locally that we we like. I mean, we really think he's underrated, but whatever the kids are looking at the stars, if you're you're intimidated by that or you're mad because we took another guy, then, you know, you don't want to compete. And, and there's that's a little bit of a red flag. Um, but, at, you know, at the same time, it's like, why does USC, you know, shut it down at that point? Well, because they can, <laughs> because they can during the season at some point say, OK, well, you know, we're going to go back on Justin Tanahu and we're going to look at him. And uh, if we have those, if we have uh, numbers, we'll recruit him then we'll work him during the season. We'll flip them because we're confident we can do that. And that's something that, you know, Pete Carroll used to do back in the day. Uh, Lane was pretty good at doing it. Uh, where if there was, you know, a guy that they liked, um, but, you know, they had other guys and, and they and they were able to hit on those players and, and get those targets, uh, then you always had those guys in the back pocket, sort of like, okay, this guy out of state, you know, he committed early. You, see, you always got to have to kind of be wary of that. If he ends up decommitting, well, we, we can always pivot. And we have some other guys that we know that we're going to be able to get. Um, 
So there, there is that argument as well. And instead of like just taking everybody you can during the summer and then figuring it out later in the year, there are, you know, some instances where, um, you, you don't need to take those commitments because you can get them later. Even if that kid goes somewhere else and commits somewhere else, you're going to be able to pivot. But I, I you know, it's sort of bird in the hand, I, I think in, for me, you know, and, um, you know, getting those options and just grabbing everybody you like. And, and with these days, it's like I said, it's kind of a business decision. You know, I mean, the kids are going to drop you uh, like a bad habit if you're losing games and there's questions about who's going to be the coaches next year. Um, the, the schools kind of have to take that uh, that same approach of just getting the guys they feel can play for them. And at the end of the year, you got too many numbers which is really hard to check these days because you've got the transfer portal and we always talk about the transfers that potentially could come in, but there's the transfers that could potentially leave the program. Um, I feel like, you know, you want to have as many numbers at the high school ranks as possible coming up to signing day, because you, you might have just a better idea the closer you get to December and that first portal window of, you know, what, what, what your numbers are actually going to look like. What is that 85 really going to look like? And during the summer, man, I, I just don't know if you have that idea, if you if you have, have an accurate idea of how to project what you're going to look like during spring. Gerard, don't BS me. Gun to your head. Who was the biggest flip Pete Carroll ever made? What was the biggest flip? Oh, my That's gosh. About. I don't know. Don't BS me, Gerard. BS you? <laughs> don't BS me. Uh, don't do it. The biggest flip. That they got. But I know what's um, popping in your head. I know this is popping your head. Yeah, no, I mean uh, never mind. You want to do it at, you want to think of it after the break? Yeah, I I mean I'd I'd have to think of it. I, I don't remember I mostly with the flips. Don't you do it? Think it about it. Guys towards the end of the year, but it was more local players that were good players, but Again, guys that USC knew were plan B. They had on the back burner and they're like, yeah, you know, we're going to go in another direction. We're going to try to get this guy out of Florida. We're going to get this guy uh, out of New Jersey. And then if it didn't work out, you know, there'd be somebody committed to an Oregon State or there'd be somebody committed to a Washington, et cetera. Um, But yeah, I mean, nobody, nobody trying to, I mean, that's a tough question. I had to like literally go through how many classes to remember. I mean, there's, there was guys that were silently committed, you know, guys like, uh, Whitney Lewis to Florida State, but actually publicly committed. Uh, I got to think about that one. Okay. I'm going to let you think about it. Maybe at the end of the show, we bring it back up. But I just want to, I want your brain to get rocking on it. So we're going to take our first break of the show. I guess our only break of the show. We're going to come back and uh, yeah, we'll get into some more recruiting stuff. A little USC Notre Dame, Friday Night Lights, a look ahead to USC Utah. But all that after the break. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome back, Gerard. How was your break? It's good. I've been sitting here going through all of the impactful players that I can think of during the Pete Carroll era, trying to think of a prospect that was committed to another school that USC was able to flip. And it was like a big deal. Right. And I'm still without like a good answer of like, Oh, it was a different time back then because you didn't have as many early commitments, you know? Um, yeah. I just want to say, I believe in you, but you don't have to listen to me say it. I'll give you a little extra motivation. Are you a Mexican or a Mexican? I'm a Mexican. Good. You're a Mexican, Gerard. You're a Mexican. That was all just a setup to probably you. Like, <laughs> I'm going to ask him this diabolical question to have him like off the top of his head go back in time and think of all the players that played for Pete Carroll in the Pete Carroll era. I mean, I'm, pro- I'm probably missing somebody that may have committed like very early on in their commitment. I, I feel like Kaluka Mayavea was somebody that might've been committed somewhere else. And then USC offered him and he decommitted. I mean, he ended up being a first round pick, um, but I'm not hundred percent sure he was actually committed. I feel like he was, though. I feel like he maybe was committed to UCLA. Let's see. Kaluka was class of 2000. 2005 it was that big class where they got uh, brian cushing um they got uh um you know uh, ray maluga i'm just looking to see here uh no, Fred, see, there was a lot of guys that were like 
they were silently committed to other schools. You know, I mean, even you go back to Sean Cody, everybody's like, hey, man, he's going to uh, Notre Dame. He's locked to Notre Dame. Even with Reggie Bush, there was a lot of talk like he was going to go to Notre Dame and USC was able to get him. But he wasn't committed to another school. So we got Brian Cushing, Luther Brown was in that class. Kaluka, were you? I don't know if this is even going to tell me this. Um, I got to go to his recruiting profile. I don't, I'm probably not going to be able to. <laughs> it's probably not going to come up here that he was committed. I don't know if they have like timeline. Three entries. They have him committing to USC in October, but is nothing. I feel like he was committed to UCLA at some time, but I don't know for sure. But that that that's one that comes to mind. Who's the name? Kaluka. Mayava. And um, that was one of like a guy that people forget about because everybody thinks about Kush. Everybody thinks about Raymond Luger, even Luther Brown. Luther Brown was a huge get for them. You know, that was the big three, really. Luther was playing at Lakewood. Um, he was, you know, really like the biggest name locally. And USC was battling, battling, battling for him. Uh, Raymond Luga was was big time. He was actually playing at uh, St. Bonaventure for a while. And then his family moved him back up to Eureka because he was kind of getting in some trouble there in Ventura. And then Brian was the guy that was, you know, out of state that was another kind of Notre Dame. A lot of people were were pushing Notre Dame, you know, Tom Lemming pushing Notre Dame. And uh, and he just uh, you just fell in love with with USC and, and Pete and and everything. And so um, everybody thinks of those those three. But uh, Kaluka was out of Hawaii and um, was kind of like the low key with everybody's like, whoa. Why are you taking that? Why are you, why are you taking him? Like, why would you take him? You, you're going after Luther Brown. Does that mean they're not going to get Luther Brown? Does that mean they're not going to get Ray? Well, they just liked him. They had already had Clay Matthews there, Clay Matthews Jr. as a red shirt, um, you know, out of uh, out of Akura Hills. And so, I mean, they had some dudes and um, they just like Kaluka. And, and kind of an, an example of like, hey, you see guys you like, you just take them. It's like, hey, we'll figure it out at the end of the day. You know, we, we're going to get the guys we liked and um, – yeah, that that I, I I again I could be wrong, but I feel for it, some. It just it just says he uh, he was committed. He gave a soft verbal to UCLA in the summer. So. There you go, there you go, boom, yeah, boom, yeah. That Done. was um Book that's it. one <laughs> that's one. <laughs> I could still go through like anytime you know you can just go through uh, the the commit list and you see these names and it's like oh yeah I remember this and, you know it everything just like flashes back to you. Um, all these recruitments and little nuances of things that that go on. I know people love to hear about that kind of stuff. Um, Derek Simmons was 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 a pretty big flip at that time. You know, he didn't go on in the NFL like Kaluka and wasn't a major factor. But I remember when he flipped, everybody was really excited. He was, I think, committed to Washington. He was a defensive lineman um, from Fairfield, California. There you go. We we bring it all the way back around, just like from Jericho. Uh, he's from Fairfield, uh, California. And he was a guy that was really good at the Cali, uh, Florida um, bowl game. You know, the practices we were watching him. And he was just, you know, he's one of those really uh, standout type players. Didn't, like I said, do a ton at uh, at USC. But um, you got to remember, like, during the time of the recruitment, you know. I mean, there's there's everybody sort of how the players impact and their contributions in college and after college there's this sort of revisionist history as to how big of recruits they are. But, you know, I remember like during the time that they were being recruited, what the peristyle was like at that point and who was like 
the the champion of the peristyle. Everybody, there's always those guys. There's always those recruits that, um, for whatever reason, you know, the fan base just kind of rallies around and and loves. Uh, Emmanuel Moody was another one. You know, USC got him away from Texas. Um, that was kind of a big deal. That was that big running back class where USC was uh, scrambling around. Uh, Vidal Hazelton. I feel like Vidal Hazelton might have been committed before he committed to USC. I know he went to preparatory school from high school, and he was during again that was a huge that that was such. I could write a book on that 2005 recruiting class because that was that was the we got to replace Lindell. We got to place Re- Reggie. We, we got to replace all these guys that just won us two national championships. And there was some mega players in that class. CJ Spiller was in that class. Percy Harvin was in that class. Shady McCoy was in that class. And I've, we've talked about, you know, sort some of that already um, with various players. But, you know, Veda Hazleton was kind of like, okay, we like Percy a lot, but, you know, there's this other guy that might be able to, to be just as good. And never really panned out for USC, but I feel like he was a guy that committed somewhere else early on and then eventually committed USC. He was a five-star wide receiver at high school. So, again, didn't contribute a lot for USC, kind of was, and I hate to use the word bust, but he didn't meet expectations at USC. So people go, oh, that, that wasn't a big flip. During the time, that was huge. You know, if, again, he was a flip, I I, I, I vaguely remember. I know Moody was for sure. And obviously, Kaluka Maivea was. And Kaluka, you know, that was more of if you, if you were in the know, um, that was a big flip. Like, if you knew how much UCLA liked Kaluka Maivea at that point when he was a recruit, you're like, no, this is actually pretty good for USC. But a lot of fans are, again, during that time, Ray Maluga, you know, talk to me about Luther Brown. And then, you know, Brian Cushing's like this guy in, in, in New Jersey, which is like, that'd be great if we could get him. But we're not holding our breath, you know, because that's kind of Notre Dame territory. Um, so, yeah, it was kind of like uh, Kaluka was flying under the radar. But that was that was a pretty big flip. And it's certainly bigger scale in terms of his career. That was a big flip because he was great for USC. He went on. I think he was a first or second round pick um, and went to the Browns and, and was a really Kaluka. good player in the NFL. Yeah, Kaluka, Kaluka. Yeah, he was a fourth round pick. Oh, really? Fourth round pick. OK, I thought he was a little higher. Now. He had a good NFL career, though. He was around. I feel like. A lot of people listening to this podcast are hearing you throw these names out, and they're just like sitting back thinking to to themselves. He was special. (laughs) Trying so hard. Anthony McCoy was Anthony McCoy committed anywhere? Okay. Anyways, yeah. I mean, I could, dude. Like I said, I just start looking at these these recruiting classes, and you know, names are like, oh yeah, that guy, that guy, that guy. You know, it's one of those things where. Like every 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 two cycles, like you know, I'm 2025 and 2026 names are now going into the database. So I've got to erase some of these <laughs> some of these other names. He's erasing that, them from his mind. Yeah, that I are not you. that are just not pertinent right now. I actually found your behind the verbal for Derek Simmons. Oh, there I couldn't, you go. I couldn't read it. Still under a paywall after all these years, but uh, I, I believe it, like rivals probably right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I probably have it on my computer somewhere. Oh, I bet you do. I bet you do. Well, Gerard, thanks for letting me um, uh, torture you for a little bit with that one. But uh, I think a lot of the uh, fans got a kick out of that one going down memory lane. He was special. Uh, Thank you so much. So let's transition into USC, Notre Dame, 
recruiting angle, which has just kind of uh, been very uh, copy and paste for you when in terms of uh, previous games. <laughs> and uh, we've, it's changed, not, it's, we've changed the format a couple of times. At first, it was just, you know, like takeaways from the game. And I was kind of filling in there. And then it was like shotguns like, well, you know, you know, Connor is, is going to be able to do that going forward. So do you want to do something different? I'm like, well, I could do something like, you know, what we've learned or or actually turned out to be superlatives at first. And then that kind of formulated into things we were learning. And then basically over the past three weeks, I'm like, I'm not learning much more at this point. I think we've learned what the USC team has to offer for the most part, what the team they are. So it became a game changers which I was just basically looking at the, the sort of game-changing plays and the players that were involved in those plays and how they happened and kind of what maybe, you know, they meant to the game uh, bigger picture-wise. And in general, this also has just become you eviscerating USC based on their performance against uh, Notre Dame. But why don't you go into That's this game That's not true. Changes? That eviscerating, please. No, very fair, very balanced. Uh, let us let us get into your game changers feature, though, Gerard. Why don't you give us a little insight into that? Well, I mean, taking it from a recruiting angle and bringing it more centric to this podcast, um, you know, a lot of the questions that the fan base have, and, you know, it was a meltdown Saturday night. Let's just call it what it was. And, and there's a listen, there's a lot of new peristylers. I don't know if people really realize i didn't realize i didn't realize this ryan didn't really give me a heads up on this but we grew quite a bit uh post lincoln riley announcement well yeah well yeah but like more than you than you would realize or or think so there's a lot of oh you know the trolls are taking over the board and it's like listen man you weren't here for the battle of the tarmac. <laughs> you weren't here for the, the 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 tears of Helton. You, you, were, you, were, like, you weren't you weren't here for those two weeks where no one knew if Helton was going to get fired or extended. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, dude, we, we I've been through some some instances in USC football history with things that have happened, and you've had meltdowns, it's like, and it's like that meme of those guys about to get to the guillotine, and the other guys looking at the other guy like first time here. First time, yeah, really, exactly. Um, it's, uh, yeah, there, there's like uh, lots of different instances, different posts, different things that have come and gone through the, the history, and and certainly with the bigger community, you have not not just trolls, and there there's trolls that pop up now and again, but it's really, it's you know what meme it is, really, what meme it is, it's the meme. Spider-Man pointing at Spider-Man is really mm. what the meme is because it's Trojan fans calling other Trojan fans trolls. And we know because we're moderating this and we're, you know, we're talking to people. We People get banned and then they're like, hey, why did I get banned? And then, you know, oh, my dad went to USC 1974, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, okay, man, You know, you're just a little, <laughs> though I know you're passionate, but, you know, you're calling people idiots and stuff. And it's, it's on the, you know, this, there's the, there are the rules. And then, you know, it's like uh, they start crying about moderation and they're like, ah, my posts get deleted and it's like listen we're breaking another rule now man come on read the rules so yeah it's a meltdown and it's it is par for the course and uh there's a lot of trojan fans that because of the expectations you bring in a proven winner in lincoln riley and again lincoln riley to his own detriment turns around says hey this is going to be a quick 
turnaround. We're not we're not waiting to win games here. You know, I feel like we can win right away. And, and, he, and he sort of painted that picture and then he turned around and he did and won 11 games. And people just think, oh, well, you're going to win 12 and 13 games the next season. And then the next season, you're going to go undefeated. And then the next season, you're, you're going to start, you know, playing NFL teams in the in the preseason because you're so good. And it gets a little away from people. And it, they don't got to take a step back and go, okay, wait, wait, wait. Where are we here? We are in year two, you know. And, and, there, and there's a honeymoon that is supposed to exist. And there is credibility that is built in because of what Lincoln Riley did at Oklahoma. Now, are there thropes? of his coaching career at Oklahoma and criticisms that get carried over to USC. Of course there are. Right. And, and you are seeing those things pop up and you're like, okay, so this is not just a USC thing. This there's things that have carried over and they have not been addressed. And so people want to see those addressed because it's like, it's year two at USC, but it's not year two of Alex Grinch as defensive coordinator with Lincoln Riley. So you know, there's there's a little bit of both. Like you kind of have to see the balance in both. Yes, this is new because it's at USC and they're you know now playing with USC personnel. It's a completely different roster. It's a different environment. It's a different culture. I mean, and it's a culture that needs to be rebuilt. And I don't know how many times we've talked about it on the podcast and it I mean, gets glossed over because I've never seen anybody really talk about it on the Peristyle, but I've said time and time again, three years at minimum for a true culture change. I don't care what the coaches say. I don't care what the players say. The players are going to sit there in, in fall camp. I've seen, again, Clay Helton years. Oh, the, the culture is so great now. And, oh, the coaches are great. And, you know, everybody's got that talking point. It's like their their public relations you know, they're talking about how great culture is and the locker room's great and the camaraderie is great now. And guys are, are talking so much more this year. And it's everything's different. And it's like, no, it's not. Like culture is you see it in the results, you see it on the field. And it takes a lot of time for the accountability and everything else to settle in with that. And so we're we are in year two when it comes to those things. Now on other things. Yes, there is, you know, room for debate in terms of progression and regression. I think a lot of people are are, are freaking out over the offensive regression. Um, but, you know, again, we, we've hit on these points so many times, Chris. You know, and, and this is not like, oh, let's pat ourselves on the back. But we've talked quite a bit. I, I've talked quite a bit on this podcast about USC offensively, Caleb Williams, in a year of off and and and, and all those months of offseason that defensive coordinators have had to be able to see what they do to be able to see tendencies. You didn't have that in year one. Now you have all that on film, and every top team that you're going to play, man, those defensive coordinators during the offseason they're taking weeks of those off seasons to watch and do meetings and have film and have their guys that are coming back look it. This is the side he wants to roll to. When he throws here and he throws this route, he's doing this. This is this is a tell from the offensive lineman. This is their their guard that's coming back. This is just whatever it is. You know, this is how they line up when they're going to run the ball. Now, maybe it's not every time, but hey, man, if we can get this 75, 80 percent of the time, we're going to blitz this. We're going to run blitzes at the line of scrimmage. And there's a lot of different nuances with tendencies. And I've made that connection with Sam Darnold when when they had that 2016 run. You open the season with Max Brown. Okay, Max, everybody kind of thought, okay, Max Brown's going to be the starter. So every defense that was preparing for USC was preparing for a pocket passer. 
And all of a sudden, Sam Darnold gets thrown in there. It's like, who's this kid? Utah offered him as a linebacker, as a sophomore. He was like, what? Who's this kid? And he's running around making plays, doing Houdini stuff, getting the offense out of all kinds of negative plays. And they have that great season in 2016. Now you go to 2017, all of a sudden people, well, they know who Sam Darnold is now. (laughs) He torched them last year. So they've done nothing but prepare for Sam Darnold. I just want to say that's a great point because I've heard some people talk about how this 2023 team is giving 2017 vibes in terms of not – obviously the expectations were super high. It just hasn't been – a top level offense that you saw last year, especially when talking about, you know, the offensive side of the ball and we can don't need to hash on the defense, but some people said, you know, it has been 2017 vibes in terms of that expectations and not really living at up to those expectations. And people say that now, I mean, at the beginning of the season, people are like, well, man, this is even better offense than it was last year. You know, they go beat Nevada and it's like, oh my gosh, this offense is unstoppable. But there's a natural regression. There's an ex- There should be an expected regression just because defenses are, are they're not just preparing for that week. It's not just about the week install. They literally have scripts and, and things that they've got lined up that they were doing back in April and March, you know, watching USC film, even before that. And so, yeah, there's going to be some natural struggle. Um, Caleb is is, is going to feel it too. Um, they played a better defense. They played the best defense they've played all season by a good margin. Okay, you, Notre Dame's got a good defense. They don't got a good offense, but they got a good defense. And they kind of figured out where they needed to be on certain they, – they understood really, I think, where they needed to, to rush the passer as much as possible. And one thing I will say – there's a lot of copium about, well, you know what? It was just Caleb Williams. You know, this was on Caleb. Listen, Caleb has been supplemental uh, for the pass protection the last two years. And he didn't have his greatest game. And he's, and he's been a bit off uh, in terms of accuracy. And there's been a few pro, uh, throws there that, that have gotten away from him, for sure. But he also, on every one of those interceptions, had a guy directly in his face as he was throwing the ball. One of those interceptions, he had a full-on pass deflection by the defensive tackle right up the middle. So, you know, he's taking some flack when truthfully the offensive line really, really struggled against Notre Dame. And, yeah, that's a bigger issue. I think it's easier to say, oh, you know, Caleb just had a bad game. You know, that's the the copium because that's an easy fix. Caleb just have a better game. You know, we, we've seen that. We've seen, we've seen you do great things, you know. We've seen you make those passes a hundred times, you know, where you scramble and you do the little Houdini, you do a spin move, you almost fall down, you jump over a guy and you throw against your body in the middle of the field, blah, blah, blah. But, yeah, you're, you're doing that against Nevada. Just do that State. 20 times a game and we'll win. Yeah. And, and so, you know, the, the, the offensive line woes against Notre Dame are harder to fix. There's definitely some question marks there on the offensive line and, you know, guys have to just play better, quite frankly. And then there's also the sort of one-dimensional um, offense that that USC has right now. And they've not developed the run game in games where they could, you know, and it wasn't a necessity. So they're kind of like, oh, we're just going to pass the ball. And, you know, whatever, if it's just pad and stats or it's just RPO and, and Caleb's just saying, no, nah, I want to throw the ball. I, I don't know. I don't know what the, the situation there is in terms of the decision-making not to run the ball more, but now you're paying for it because you, you're just not a run team. You're not a team that commits to the run. 
and you, it seems like they don't know how to. And defenses are absolutely selling out in, in particular plays, knowing USC is is not going to run. And so that that exacerbates the issue of pass protection. So you know that's a problem. You're you're trying to sell some development on the offensive line. We saw some good development of some players last season. You know, uh, I think Mason Murphy was one of those players that really looked like he got better as the season progressed. He struggled against Notre Dame. Um, I still have the opinion. I think he's an inside guy more than he's an outside guy. But one other thing that we mentioned during the offseason, which was going to be very interesting to watch, was uh, Jonah Monheim getting the spot at left tackle. And it was originally Michael Tarquin that they put there during spring. And then at some point they put Jonah Monheim there. And that was it was one of two things. It was either Jonah Monheim has really shown uh, over the summer like he he's their best lineman and he can do what Elijah Vera Tucker did. And, and kind of a really sort of outlier thing is move from the inside and go to the outside and actually play left tackle and be a big time left tackle, uh, at least at the college level. Um, or they just don't have anybody else to play left tackle. And it's looking more like the latter, which is not a great thing. So that's something that, you know, going into this game and really the, the, the meat of the schedule, that's a, a big clearing issue for them. You know, we know what the defense is giving up and what they're doing. And there was there was copium there as well where people are like, oh, now the defense, you know, they played really well. They played really well. You, you know, there was some silver lining, riding the silver lightning uh, with – Mr. Christian Roland Wallace, I think that was one of the best defensive back performances we've seen, particularly from a cornerback. You know, he he had two pass breakups that that led to three and outs. You know, that's huge. That's big. So there there were some some highlights there, but we also have to realize that they were playing on a very short field and they gave up three touchdowns. They didn't give up two field goals and a touchdown. They didn't give up two touchdowns and a field goal. They gave up touchdowns every one of those drives from the 50 yard line, 12 yard line, two yard line walking in. It wasn't a great look. They, they didn't provide a lot of resistance there. Yes. The offense put them in some bad positions, but it's not like they really stepped up. They had no sacks. They had one tackle for loss. They have no turnovers. It's not, that's not a good defensive performance. You know, you could say, Oh, well, they, they, they didn't play horribly, but they did play great either. I think so, people are just looking at the fact that they only missed two tackles after 49 the previous three weeks and 18 against Arizona. They're seeing that that is kind of the, uh, <laughs> that that is more Notre Dame is not very dynamic offensively. They don't have a dynamic running game. Their offensive line is kind of mediocre for Notre Dame standards. Uh, Hartman is a great quarterback. I mean, he's a very, very good quarterback. Great. Maybe he's, he's, he's pushing it, but he's going to get drafted. Sam Hartman is definitely going to get drafted. Uh, he can make some throws. And I think that was one of the biggest differences between this Notre Dame team and last year's team. He he could make some throws to win the game. And he made that throw, which, again, to Chris Tyree, big chunk play that the defense gives in the second half. That, that has been an absolute standard thing for this defense uh, since last season. They just continue to give up huge plays in the second half, and you just can't do that. You're supposed to be making adjustments in the second half and not give up those big plays, those quick scores. And they give up two of them really in the second half, which, you know, they get it to 11, and you're feeling kind of good, but then you give up that big play, and then you give up the kick return. I was just 
you know, that you can't do that. You just can't do that. And playing on the road against a, a rival and you're turning the ball over. I mean, they, they checked all those boxes to, you know, how you lose a game like that. So, you know, now we go fast forward. But, you know, from a recruiting standpoint, it is, again, about the rebuild process, uh, the culture, and and the the I don't agree with the uh, the the players are checked out sort of talk that you saw on the Peristyle at the end of the game. Um, I think there's a difference between they checked out and they sort of lost focus and they kind of started mailing it in towards the end of the game. They knew they weren't gonna they weren't gonna win that game, and I think they did lose focus, and that's not a good thing. That's something that's got to be addressed, and they got to nip that in the bud because they did not finish that game well. But I don't think that they've mailed it in. I don't think there's any, you know, distrust or they're not buying in anymore. I, I don't get that sense. Uh, not yet. Not yet. I don't think that, you know, the locker room is at odds now with the coaching staff, which is, you know, implied. I, I don't think any of that is the case. So I think there's still culture to be built. There's still, you know, guys that are in positions on the team that are starting that are not playing to that standard. They're not playing tough. They're not playing through plays. There's just some of that that is still going on, which, again, there's the argument between going into the portal and getting a guy from another program and bringing a guy in from the high school ranks and has him be a freshman and break him, break him in, de-recruit him, and then you know get him to a point where it's like La Tabla Rasa or Blank Slate, it, this is how you play football here. This is what the standards are here. These are the accountability, and then you move and you and you and you are able to develop that within him. Um, there's there's a obviously a big question mark as to whether you can develop culture out of the portal. You know they won 11 games last season, but this is a different schedule and it's it's a more demanding schedule, and you got to put up or shut up over the next few weeks here. I mean this is you, you we're really gonna see where they're at. You know, by the time we get into that Cal game, you're really going to see, okay, you know, it, 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 how far does USC have to go, but also what is working and what's not working? Because there is potential where you say, okay, well, we know we're in year two, but you don't need two more years to figure out that this is not it. So there will be more of that, you know, and but, but you have games to play here. And I am somewhat optimistic that they're going to come and they're going to play really well against Utah. Um, again, the offensive line is really my biggest hangup because I just did not like what I saw from them from replay standpoint. Guys falling down, guys getting blown off the ball, just some whiffs along the offensive line in terms of blocking. And that was the first team that we've seen that really had some dudes up front. And they weren't even like the best dudes that USC are going to see. Uh, Utah has some dudes as well. And Utah can do many of the things that Notre Dame did defensively. And they probably will. So USC's got to make some adjustments. they got to figure out how to run the ball, so on and so forth. We'll get into that when we talk about things we want to see from USC for the Utah game. But at this point, I can say this, Chris, uh, over the last, I don't know how many, four weeks, the things that we've wanted to see from games we have not seen. We're we're basically picking things that we are going to see in the game. So yeah, it's it's kind of yeah, the opposite like, of what we're going yeah, to see. what we're not going to see. Yeah, what we're not going to see. <laughs> Name me three things, Chris. We're not going to see from USC this game against Arizona. We're gonna see a run game. We're not gonna see a run game. We're not gonna see a fast fast start. And we're, we're not, not gonna, gonna see them, uh, you know, uh, limiting big plays in the second half. 
So whatever we say we want to see, it's not going to happen. So uh, that that's been the trend the last four weeks. And will that be the new thing? Like uh, we didn't have a, a podcast like one week. It was a Utah week, and I was like, we got to have a podcast, which turned out to be not true at all because they, they lost other games. We had podcasts that week, um, but this this <laughs> we oh, have to they're going to the say we're jinxing them. Yeah, we're we're, we're, we're like it's the new thing. Like there's we some control the thing. Here. We yeah. control the weather. We control the play. So that that's interesting. That's an interesting thing. No one has brought that up to me. Brought that up to me, so uh, you might have just made a lot of people like have this uh, come to Jesus realization. We can, we can always just change it. We can meme it, and we could say things we won't see. You know, you know, I'll do it. You know, I'll do it. You no, know, I'll hey, do it. If it's what we have to do for USC to win games, we'll take one for the team. Have you made your decision for Christ? I don't know why I just wanted to play that. So there we are. There we are. Gerard, anything else you want to say about this uh, Game Changers recruiting angle Notre Dame thing before we move on to some high school football? It didn't help USC with uh, Kingston Valley. He was he was in attendance, and I know you he said it's, it's risky to bring in a bunch of visitors. They had a bunch of people. Notre Dame did. I, I was standing outside when they all walked by. They were they were rolling deep with visitors. They're pretty Obviously, confident. They're pretty confident. Yeah. I, I think. I mean, we. It's interesting because you know, with Colorado, they they had a lot of guys stacked up for the USC weekend, and then they balked, and they had a few guys. They, they're like, eh, not this weekend, and it ended up being a good game for them. I mean, that even though they lost, I think Colorado definitely got. You could some definitely bread. recruit off that. That uh, yeah, that for loss. sure, for sure. That's a that's a recruitable loss, and certainly that's a recruitable win. For USC, Notre Dame hasn't been with that coaching staff super. Um, they haven't had a, a real uh, presence in Southern California, not as much uh, with the Brian Kelly era. But you know that might change. They they may say, hey, listen, we just got a guy out of Bosco. We can go into Notre Dame, or excuse me, we can go into Modern Day. Um, so you might see a little more of 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 Notre Dame when you lose like that. It always kind of opens you up a little bit. Um, so it, it obviously didn't help USC, um, but uh, you've got some games here where you can certainly, you know, win back uh, the, the the local um, recruiting base. And again, it's, you know, you, you do, even though like we talked about this expectations and where you are in a rebuild, you do have to find points in which you can point to progression. Right. And so, okay, you lost Notre Dame. Okay, cool. It wasn't it wasn't a good loss. Um, but you lost to Utah twice last year. Okay, Utah, not the same team. They don't got Cam Rising back there right now. You, you, at face value, you beat Utah. That's a, a big kind of step forward for Lincoln Riley on the recruiting trail to say, look at the team we lost to twice last year. We're getting better. You know, we we beat them this year. That was a big thing for us. You don't want this to be like you know, Utah is just like the team they can't figure out. So there, there are plenty of stepping stones you can find on the recruiting trail with these games going forward. And certainly the most impactful, I would say, is the game at Altson. Because I can tell you right now, Dan Landing with his weird sort of like, um, you know, Fire Marshal Bill kind of smile thing he does. He's thinking right now with a little cigar. In his, in his mouth, he's gonna. He, they're gonna load up on recruiting visits uh, for that game against USC. They're they're going to invite Absolutely. all of Southern California. They're just gonna be like flights up there for free. 
um, hotels will be sold out and it'll all just be recruits from the 2025, 26, 27 classes because they, they're going to be confident. They're just going to blow USC out of the water. So that's going to be a pretty big one for USC as well. But, you know, first things first, got to win this weekend. And then, you know, you go, you move forward. All right, Gerard, that's a good place to jump into our next topic, which is always Friday Night Lights. You mentioned Modern Day. You mentioned Bosco. That's a great place to start because St. John Bosco blanked Modern Day on Friday. I was following the game on my phone. I was like, wait, Modern Day Bosco are playing right now. Let me go and check the score. And I was shocked that St. John Bosco was up. I think it was like 21 to nothing at the point I checked. Not, I'm not shocked that St. John Bosco beat Modern Day. I'm more shocked that Modern Day got blanked in this loss. Credit to St. John Bosco and their defense. Their defense, I said at the beginning of the year after I saw them the first time, like, yeah, their offense isn't really that special. They're going to be led by their defense. And lo and behold, the defense did what they needed to do and shut down the best quarterback or at least the reigning best quarterback in the Trinity League and Elijah Brown, who has been starting since maybe he was three years old at modern day, just every which way. And they shut him down. They shut him down and got a big win. St. John Bosco obviously lost earlier this year to a team that modern day beat. So St. John Bosco, these two teams are probably going to meet again in the, in the postseason in the championship game. But St. John Bosco takes the first match rivalry game and i think it's a rivalry game where the first time in a very long time modern day really didn't think that bosco could beat them and and that's what happens in rivalry that was game. the narrative for everyone going to this game because this is really not one of saint john bosco's better teams at least when you look on paper and you look at the recruits and the guys that got scholarship offers the division one prospects this is not one of St. John Bosco's best teams. But this is also a team that went cross-country and beat St. Thomas Aquinas at their place and blanked them, basically the same way they did modern day. I was told by the internet and even some <laughs> modern day uh, parents that modern day wasn't going to lose a game this year. I was told that uh, during the Centennial game, which, by the way, was not really a great game for modern day. They looked very beatable against Corona Centennial in that game. Uh, offensively, they just not, they're just not very dynamic um, throwing the ball. Uh, they, they have some of the issues that kind of Alabama has right now. And I think Elijah Brown is a good, solid high school quarterback. He manages the ball well. He doesn't throw a lot of interceptions normally. And they really kind of play towards the run game. But the thing is, on paper, they should be a dominant run team. They've got two high-end Division I running backs. They've got an offensive line of guys that are Division I guys. It's kind of like Alabama. When you look at Alabama and you look at all the running backs they've recruited, you look at the five stars they have on that offensive line, you're like, yeah, I understand you don't have the best quarterback in terms of throwing the ball downfield. But holy crap, man, you should be able to just run the ball against some of these teams and be better. And that's what modern day looked like to me. They just looked like a team that was a bit one dimensional, but they were so strong in that one dimension. You thought they would be able to kind of will themselves to beat some teams. So that's interesting. I mean, that's, that's, that's a bit of question mark for them. Defensively, they are very good. So, you know, the 28 points was a little bit surprising and they gave up some really big plays on some third downs. 
Um, I think there was even a fourth down, fourth down that uh, St. John Bosco was able to convert. So there'll be a rematch here more than likely. And I wouldn't be shocked if it, if it went the other way. Um, but to, to get actually shut out is, is, uh, is pretty surprising, man. That's pretty shocking. If you would have told me that, you know, St. John Bosco could have won 28-24 or 28-23 or 28-20, you'd be like, okay, yeah, all right. I could see how that, you know, might happen. But, yeah, for, for modern day to get completely shut out, uh, that was surprising. That's that's a, a, a bit of a, a, a check. Um, certainly, again, it's it's like uh, I compare it to, to Alabama. You've got these big time uh, offensive linemen, highly rated guys that you're just like, this is a massive offensive line. At some point, you figure they're just going to just wear on the team in front of them. And modern day is similar, you know, even from a just a size standpoint, you know, some of these teams that they play against, they weren't able to do that against Bosco. Bosco was able to get off blocks. Modern day did not sustain blocks very well. Uh, Brandon Baker did not have a great game. Um, you know, just in general, their offensive line was not able to stay in front of guys long enough. And it was, you know, Elijah Brown is not that creative of a quarterback. He's he's a pocket quarterback. He's a guy who can can get out on a bootleg and throw the ball, but he's not a guy that's going to have a lot of escapability. He doesn't do a lot to be able to get away from contact, to break tackles, et cetera. And so, you know, once Bosco was able to be disruptive, it was it was very disruptive. You know, it wasn't like you had Caleb or, or somebody back there that, you know, can kind of riff a little bit and extend plays that way. So it's going to be interesting, you know, going forward to see uh, what happens uh, with these two teams in the playoffs, who they play again. Um, but, you know, there's a good chance we'll see them uh, in a rematch and um, it's good. It, it, it will be a little different game. I, I suspect because um, unlike what some folks think the Notre Dame game did to USC, which I don't buy for one second, which is wake them up. You know, I've seen that. You know, it was just a wake up call for USC. Listen, I'm, I'm sorry to tell you Trojan fans, Arizona state was a wake up call. Okay. If you didn't figure it out in the Arizona state game, if you didn't figure out the Colorado game, and and you were you were not woken up enough to go and play against Arizona and, and, and play a better game against Arizona. I, I don't think just because you got blowout in the loss that this is a wake up game. I think it sort of is what it is. Um, this was a wake up game for modern day for sure. I, I think that they were sleepwalking a little bit and they did think they just they just could show up and kind of be modern day and beat teams and they forgot. St. John Bosco is still St. John Bosco even though they don't have all the Division one guys. They don't got the big time Division one quarterback. Etc. Um, they still got dudes, and they're still very well coached team. And Gerard, I obviously wasn't at a game on Friday night because I was out in Chicago. Deep You're deep dishing. I was I was deep dishing. I that feels like it has a inappropriate connotation, but deep. we'll let it slide. Well, you're the one who was on Twitter talking. Excuse me, X. Talking about uh, getting your cherry popped for deep dish pizza. And I, <laughs> that, I that. so, so wanted to reply, how deep is it, Chris? How deep are you in it now? He was special. Um, so I obviously wasn't at a game, but you were at a game. You actually went to go back to see Bonita playing a game, and I feel like you're a bad luck charm for Bonita. Sorry, sorry, yeah. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Gerard. I just, I just had to say it. It's true. It's true. The only two losses I've seen, there are only two losses now. Oh, really? That's yes. bad. That's yes. bad. Yes. They were 6-0, and oh, and they lost no. against Northview, which was a bit of a surprise That's... loss. Did no, they no, make no, North, Northview did was they make that joke? Didn't they make that joke last week? Like, they see this person on the sideline, it's like, oh, crap, we're going to lose. I'm taking, I soul. What joke. 
<laughs> I, feel, I feel what that joke was, but that's you now. That's you. Never show up to another Bonita game ever. I show up wearing all black and I got my hoodie on. Um, yeah, and then they played Ayala uh, this past week and uh, lost to Ayala as well, which was surprisingly a game, though, that they were cautious about. You know, I was talking to some of the fans at Bonita, and they're like, yeah, yeah, was. they lost some games this season. I think they came in three and four, but they played some teams tough, and they'd beaten some teams worse than Bonita had. So there was actually some expectation that this game was going to be a good game, and it was. There was five lead changes just in the first half. And so this was back and forth, back and forth. There's another game where Noel McHale played well, had a, a bunch of tackles. I don't know what uh, number he was credited for tackles. 26, the last game that I saw and filmed. Um, it was probably up there again. I mean, I certainly double digits once again. Um, didn't use him quite as much on offense. In fact, Eliello was very condescent to kind of bracket him and take him away as a receiver. Um, but again, he was kind of hobbled going into the end of the game. You know, I think just some of their guys, Bonita going down with cramps, they just can't, I think, play as many snaps um, against those good teams. You know, if teams are able to take them into the fourth quarter, it's tough for those guys to play four straight quarters, both sides of the ball playing multiple positions. I mean, uh, Noah McHale plays running back. He plays tight end. He's sometimes kind of like a wing back for them. Um, he plays linebacker. And he plays on punt teams. So he's like, he very rarely comes off the field. Only time he comes off the field, I think, is kickoff and kickoff return. So, yeah, a little a little worn, and and they just weren't able to, to pull it out at the end. It was one of those things that it was right at the end. And um, uh, Ayala was able to, to, to hold on. So it was a really good high school football game for sure. Um, but unfortunately, a loss for Noah McHale and Bonita. So we'll see if... Uh, you know, those teams, it's, it's it's a league game, so we'll see. It's if, a league game, uh, Smoke. Yeah, they're able to get back into the playoffs, and the playoffs are a little different now because it, it, it sometimes you're in league, and then they, they separate it a little differently. So it's not that they may not be in the same division. I'm not 100% sure how that's going to work out, but um, they both should be playoff teams. So we'll, we'll have a potential to see, you know, uh, more Bonita and Noel McHale here in the future. I mean, if they had their way, you will not be seeing them again throughout this season he was credited with 17 tackles yeah yeah i figured it it was another game where you know it's just uh he's involved a lot and even though like i said offensively he didn't do as much and they were kind of i think just trying to you know not expend his energy quite as much he you know he was still out there and and i said ayala did a pretty good job of uh ayala was a, a decent football team you know three and four but they you can you can always kind of tell i mean these days i can go out and just kind of see pregame warm-ups and i can see how they get from station to station with warm-ups and the guys that they, it's not all about you know how big they are and whatever you know that that's not one of those things sometimes you know um you get down to the city section you, you see teams and kids on the same team got different color face masks you're like okay this is going to be interesting um but you know most of the time with these schools it's really about like how organized they are in pregame. And you're like, okay, these guys kind of have their stuff together. And you know, that, that sort of indicates uh, regardless of like what their record is, how hard they're going to play and whether it's going to be a good game or not. Gerard with that, let's check into some Saturday night football. That is week eight. USC is hosting Utah, a team that beat them twice last season. Now we've alluded to Utah multiple times through the first two hours of this show. But we are here now at the 
a little bit of a game preview kind of deal. And as you uh, memed it a couple minutes ago, we we always point out three things that we want to see in this coming matchup. But again, lately those things, it's becoming things we don't see out on the field. So Gerard, do you want to go first or should I go first? Three things we're probably not going to see from USC yeah. against Utah. We need a sponsor for this segment of the show. <laughs> um, better pass protection would be at the top of the list for yeah. me. I think that this was the first game uh, coming away from South Bend where the you got to see some issues there. You know, we've talked about run and, and the lack of commitment to the run game, but this was a game where USC was a bit out of sorts with their pass protection and Caleb Williams can't on every other play have to scramble outside the pocket and make some kind of crazy spectacular pass to convert, you know, a third and three. Um, so this was a game where it all came to a head. Uh, as I said before, you talk and do some of the similar things that Notre Dame can do, and they will have a front seven that will be ready. USC's got to block those guys. So better pass protection. Um, no big plays in the second half. Can can we get that? Is that going to happen ever? Are we going to see a game from USC where there is not a 25-yard-plus play in the second half? Actually, just, you know, can we just have maybe one 25-yard play that's not a touchdown? Like, that would be a starter at this point. That That's something that, you know, <laughs> cross your fingers. Um, and more balance offensively. I think part of the problem – uh, that you you act, exacerbate your pass protection issues when you don't have a run game and you're not really trying to run the ball. And yes, Notre Dame definitely they were aggressive and they attacked the run. Um, USC had some some downs where you know Notre Dame played good defense. It, it was at, it was it was really credit to Notre Dame for just having guys the right place making open field tackles. But then there's other instances where guys just miss blocks flat out just missed blocks and so in order to 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 have the run game you know lincoln riley's got to feel like it's going to be successful and i don't know it feels like a high bar it feels like you know if they're not running for eight yards to carry it's like uh, i'm not sure if we want to run the ball um but there's just got to be more uh balance uh, offensively and and i think that's just a big deal when you're playing against teams that are not all that dynamic offensively. Notre Dame wasn't all that dynamic offensively, but you never put Notre Dame on the ropes in that game. There was never any pressure for Notre Dame to have to score in that game. It got to 11, and then, you know, they they get a couple of big plays. They get a kickoff return for a touchdown. Offense didn't even have to touch the field, and it's back up, and they're, they're up two scores. Um, so that's something you want to get out of the gates early as an offense and put pressure on that opposing offense that's part of the philosophy for these types of offenses i see these types of offenses kind of the the up-tempo air raid that spread that it's it's about you know even going back to chip kelly different type of scheme completely but the philosophy of we're going to force you to score with us and that is going to put pressure on your offense and your offense is probably going to turn the ball over trying to keep up with us because we're going up and down the field and we've already we've got 14 points on you. It's like, holy crap, what, what's going on? We we gotta throw the ball now. We gotta we gotta start getting the ball downfield. And he kind of takes you out of your game plan offensively. And so USC did not do that against Notre Dame whatsoever. They have to do that against Utah. They've got to put some pressure 
on Utah to have to score. And that's something that's interesting. And I pointed that out in the game changers is that first series of each game has been a bit of a microcosm of how USC has played offensively the rest of the game. Cause there was a streak there that they had where they were scoring on every single opening drive. And it's at one point it was like they had scored. I don't know if it was like at 13 games in the opening drive out of 18 games or something of that nature. And we've seen the opening drives of games from the offense kind of deteriorate more and more. It went from the first few games of the season, Stanford, it was like that first series, USC gets the ball, boom, 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 touchdowns. It's like, man, these guys. And then you have the bye week, and then you go against Arizona uh, State, and, and it was like, oh, you have to convert some like third and longs and like, you know, it looked a little out of sorts. And then you went to Colorado and again, like they got put in like a third 19 or something on that first series. It was like, they had penalties. It was like, uh, it was, it didn't look pretty. It was ugly. It was ultimately successful, but it was ugly and it wasn't quite like you'd seen before. And then you get to Arizona and I think Arizona was the first game where they didn't score uh, on that first series. And you know, that, became a real back and forth game. And then obviously Notre Dame, they, they throw an interception. So it's gone from, you know, uh, just being like unstoppable to having to convert third longs on your first series to not scoring at all to now throwing interceptions in your first series. So the first series is a bit of an indicator for USC. When they come on offensively and Caleb Williams doesn't have his shoulder pads on, right. Or, you know, <laughs> they're out of sorts or it's, it's a delay game. And, and that first series, they don't score. Uh, you, you might you might clench your butt cheeks a little bit if you're a Trojan fan. That game might not be going so well offensively for you. Yeah, if USC can score on their first possession, a big sigh of relief will go throughout the Coliseum. Not gonna be they're gonna win the game, but it'll be a big, big sigh of relief to see USC offense. So some sort of sign of life. My three things, you know, one of them you already kind of touched on, so I don't really need to jump in that. But I basically just said, put up or shut up for the offensive line. You played terribly against Notre Dame. You gave up six sacks. I I saw it was six sacks, or Henson said it was six sacks, but I saw on the board eight sacks. So it doesn't matter. You gave up a ton of sacks against a Notre Dame pass rush that only had 11 sacks going into the game. They were struggling to get to the quarterback, and they had a field day against you so you need to do some soul searching they don't have a bye week to lean on to fix these issues they got to do it on the fly and this is utah you're not going to get an easy break into finding yourself you're going to go up against one of the best fronts in the nation and in the pac-12 which has oh one of the top pass rushers in the country in jonah ellis so you got to come ready to play or this game is going to be a very long night for usc fans also, turnover free. Obviously, that's obviously an obviously one. That's an obvious one for me in terms of looking at how Notre Dame was able to score so much. Is that they gave up five turnovers. One was a defensive touchdown. Caleb Williams three picks. Again, some of that was being under duress from the offensive line, pressing a little bit. But you know, Utah is not a great offense. I'll call it like it is. And you know, they struggle to put up points. You know what helps you put up points? Really short fields and turnovers get that momentum. So I thought you were going to say USC's defense. 
Sure, that is also, you know, teams have been having their uh, best games against uh, struggling offenses, have learned that uh, you, uh, nothing heals a inconsistent offense and going up against USC's defense. So, yeah, that could also be an issue. But just don't turn the ball over. They had five against Notre Dame. You want to see that be zero against Utah, who, who I mean, I'm not saying they're going to make you pay as bad as Notre Dame did, but I would assume they're going to get some points off of those, and you cannot afford that. And then just make those tackles again. Let's see if you could do it for a second consecutive week. Notre, uh, Notre Dame, uh, Gerard pointed out that Notre Dame isn't as dynamic as some of the teams that they have faced over the last several weeks. Utah, maybe a little bit more dynamic than Notre Dame, but again, not a ton of real, quote-unquote, playmakers. You know, got a running game, got some big tight ends. Obviously, you could not take down Dalton Kincaid in the first matchup that you had with Utah last year because got all those yards up to carry, could not tackle him. Let's see if they can tackle a Utah tight end this week. You had two missed tackles against Notre Dame. That's some signs of life in that department. Let's see if they can do it again. And again, I apologize for USC fans because we just jinxed everything with this uh, segment. No, that's the things we're probably not going to see. So there you go. There you go. Gerard yeah. caught you in a drink of ice something. I could hear that shaking the ice. I just said my biggest, longest spiel of the podcast. I'm so proud of myself. I'm going to have a drink of water. And then I just left you hanging because you thought I was going to jump in there and say something else. He was special. Let's move on to college football around the nation, which we kind of look at through. Gerard, do you like this segment? Um, be honest with me. Don't bullshit around me. the nation. Yeah, I, I mean, you, you I, it, bullshitted me earlier with the Pete Carroll thing. Don't what? bullshit me now. Oh, I did not. I mean, just because my memory is going from whatever years ago, you want me to pull like recruiting stories out of my back pocket. Um, he, well, I mean, this is like the recruiting impact, and you know, sometimes it's a little bit of a stretch because uh, there's not a lot of guys on the board right now, and these games are maybe affecting some players but it's probably more like for the 2025-26 class um but no it's 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 a good segment i mean we're just talking like if there are any thoughts about texas a&m losing to tennessee yes why because there's a lot of overlap there with the aggies and trojans on the recruiting trail we already talked about draylon miller and his buddy ty anthony smith both guys that were looking at usc very seriously before they committed to Texas A&M. Draylon Miller has already decommitted. We'll see what happens with Ty Anthony Smith. But Texas A&M loses to Tennessee on the road. Texas A&M has looked exactly like the team they were last year, despite the hiring of Bobby Petrino. And so could we anticipate a mass exodus of Aggies from College Station? It certainly seems that way. And I'm already, you know, you're already seeing those reports about, as I mentioned earlier, the Aggies will find the money to fire Jimbo Fisher. So we'll see. But then who what are you happen- hiring? You know, it's 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 tough because, you know, this is the, the, the thing that USC was buttoned up against is the fact that you got to pull that trigger pretty early on. And then you've got to have your your the the, the option that you want to go with right there. And, and that's hard sometimes because maybe that guy is coaching at that point in time. You know, so it's like. You, your class, you, you kind of almost 
have to sacrifice your class if you're going to wait on the best options and the best candidates because it's going to be after the season. It's going to be later on, and you are going to lose that recruiting class that's committed to those coaches. And I'm like, well, okay, that's cool, but until you have a defensive coordinator and an offensive coordinator and my position coach and I know who they're going to be, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to look at another school where I do know what that's going to look like. I have some certainty as to what system I'm going to be playing in. Am I going to commit to you and you're going to run a three, four and I'm a four, three guy, or you're a two gap defensive uh, coordinator. And I want to play in a one gap, like all that stuff matters. So it's, it's, it's not, it, Texas A&M is in a bad spot right now. They're in a rough spot because they got to pay Jimbo a ton of money to, to dump them. And then you got to raise that money to go hire somebody else to do what you thought Jimbo was going to do. And you got to do it quickly if you want to keep this class together. But again, you know, USC sacrificed their 2022 class completely. It was like, whatever, you know, they, they, they brought in uh, Raleigh Brown. They brought in Malik, uh, Malachi Nelson and Makai Lemon uh, from Oklahoma that came basically over with Lincoln Riley. And then there was like a couple other guys, but I mean, it was a seven, it was a seven man class that USC signed in 2022. And it really kind of was a sacrificial class to some extent. There was some quality there, but I mean, the only potential upside you could have is if you hire a head coach and you got to get him to leave that program immediately, which is tough. And he has a good recruiting class that can become your recruiting class. At least some of those guys, you know, you go and say, all right, we're going to go after, I'm trying to think like who, who, who could they go after that has a good recruiting class? I mean, James Franklin, maybe, you know, Penn state's class was, was better than it is now. Um, but it's still got some guys and maybe like you could hit the ground running with that type of hire. Uh, but if you go after a guy like Matt Campbell, you go after a guy that's, you know, sort of like a really good coach. Um, and I know Matt Campbell's horrible now, guys. I, I know he's lost game. He lost to Iowa. Oh my God. He's, he's the most terrible coach in the world now. I, I know how that works, but you know, Matt, uh, Matt Finkel, the same thing, you know, like, like he's, he's terrible now because he's Wisconsin. They lost games. Like, Oh my God. These guys just become terrible coaches over overnight. But, you know, if you go after one of those guys, it's like really a sort of foundational ground up culture building type coach. That's like he's a good coach first and not necessarily a guy that's coming from a program where you're going to like see the recruits immediately. Yeah, you're going to absolutely eat it on the recruiting trail for this particular class and maybe even the next class. It's going to take you a while to win those games, to build it up, but maybe long term. You know, that's the better way to go. We talked all about this, you know, when they were firing Clay Helton. It's like the names that were on the board and the guys that would help recruiting immediately. And then those guys that you would bring in, it's like, look, it, it's not going to help recruiting immediately. Recruiting may not be great out of the gates, but long term, you're maybe building a better culture, a more solid culture, and you you have substance there and you build on top of that. But that that might be a longer rebuild rebuild process. That's all, folks. Uh, Porky Pig. I was not expecting a Porky Pig reference. Other scores across the country. Mario Cristobal and Miami lost to UNC. UCLA lost to Oregon State. And then the big game everyone was watching. Washington edged out Oregon at home in a thrilling game. Uh, Dan Lanning made some uh, questionable 
decisions at the end of that one. So, yeah, plenty of fireworks in that game, Gerard. Yeah, I think, um, you know, Lanning's got a little bit of Mario Crystal Ball in him. I, I don't know if he's the best game day on the fly manager uh, type coach, you know, that that's really can see the whole field in the scenarios. He's young, but there's definitely some like, I don't know, kind of getting lost in the sauce a little bit on the sidelines with Lanning. He's, he's shown that over the past couple of years. And obviously Crystal Ball, you know, coming away from that Georgia Tech game, uh, they get spanked by UNC, not a good team. That's going to be interesting to see what his future is at Miami. You know, he's a, he's a more of a homegrown guy with Miami, and it's going to be tougher to to make a quick move there. Um, and the, and they, they went all in on him. You know, that was uh, yeah. So I mean, they're they I don't know. I guess you know, just like A and M, you know, they'll find the money. Um, but uh, I think it's uh, it's it's early and. You know, he's recruiting well, and that's always the thing that you can always counter with. If you can recruit well, then you can always sell the future. You know, you can always promise the future. That's one of the issues right now with USC. They're they're not recruiting particularly well from the high school ranks. So the future is really like, well, who are you getting to play next year as your starter uh, from the portal? <laughs> it's like the near future. <laughs> um, so with uh, Crystal Ball, he, he, I think he'll probably stick around a bit, but I think we kind of kind of know what to expect from them um ucla losing to oregon state kind of surprising to me i thought they would win that game ucla's look pretty solid you know even in their losses they've looked pretty solid but uh yeah interesting uh loss on the road there um in beaverton and uh so we'll see you know ucla um corvallis Corvallis. What did I say? Beaverton. Beaverton. Sorry, sorry. Um, the Beavers in Beaverton. No, yeah, Corvallis. Um, <laughs> it's a little too on the nose, Gerard. Yeah, yeah. Beaverton is just Let's not make Corvallis. a mock out of their program. Yeah, we. I mean, the, Corvallis. It's it's interesting. Corvallis and Eugene are so far away from Portland. <laughs> They're not really that close. Um, and it's I I don't know why. Like why one of those universities would be a little closer to Portland. It would be easier, you know, for for uh, recruiting purposes and everything. But anyways, um, yeah, that's that's a, that's a kind of a little bit of a surprising loss. But UCLA is a, man, they're a little bit of an enigma now. Like I kind of thought I knew where UCLA was trajectory-wise and, you know, watching Chip Kelly and seeing how he just, he trolled that fan base the first two, three years. He was there losing games and not recruiting and just like sticking his thumb up at the fan base so much. And, he got it kind of rolling and he got it kind of rolling. And I say kind of under his terms, you know, and um, that's a kind of interesting thing. Like you just wonder like how many more games does UCLA lose until they just stop preparing for whoever they're playing and they just start preparing for USC. Cause there's always that, well, if you beat USC, if you're a UCLA fan, it's a, it's a, it's a successful season. Like that's truth be told. Let's all be honest here. All our, all our lurking uh, Bruin fans, you beat UC, USC, it's like, nah, you know, we we might have lost 10 games, but we beat US, USC. <laughs> so Live off that for several months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, we'll see. We'll see here. I uh, I thought UCLA would 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 win that and and maybe win another game that they weren't supposed to win, you know, kind of out of nowhere and um, might get back into the conversation for 
the, the Pac-12 championship. I didn't have him going to the college football playoff. I think Joe Klatt put that out there. I was like, oh, man. Um, but, uh, yeah, I thought they were they were a fairly solid team. I mean, Oregon State has been a very solid team the past couple of years. You know, Jonathan Smith has done a tremendous job. Talk about, you know, doing more with less. He'll be a guy that, you know, his name is floated out there. But that's another guy, like, if you're Texas A&M, you're, you're eating your recruiting class. Uh, going after a guy like that, you're not going to, you know, I, I think, you know, Texas A&M, it would be interesting if they could sell maybe the move on Dion, like that would be one that they could probably make where I don't know that Dion's long for, for, for Colorado, as much as Colorado is invested in him. And I heard some rumor, like they're going to try to give him a lifetime contract. I don't know if that was true. That's even like Twitter X nonsense, but nevertheless, that would be an example where, you could stir up enough in a short amount of time where you could probably still save this class and and, and keep rolling with recruiting. So that would be uh, kind of an interesting one. You know, it, is that, you know, is, is Dion there yet? You know, I, if I was an AD, I would like to see another year of Dion. Well, truthfully, you know, it's, it's almost like any younger coach. That's that's just doesn't have a lot of head coaching experience at the college level, like Glenn Kiffin when USC went after him. I'm like, you know, I'd like to see him a couple more years at Tennessee. I can't imagine a coach coaching at three different college program in three different years. That's crazy to me. I don't know why not. I mean, it's that doesn't that wouldn't surprise me at all. I mean, but again, the problem with and I don't know who's speaking for Texas A&M when it comes to the boosters and they'll just find the money is like, you mean you went all in for Jimbo Fisher, whoever signed off on that. Okay. Your, your check writing skills and everything else, your decision-making skills and your leadership and within this group of boosters, you, you got to go take a lap. Like you can, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, okay, that really did not work out. Well, we beat Alabama that one year. That's basically the, the the Jimbo Fisher tenure at Texas A&M. You know, they beat Alabama uh, that one year. And everything else has been pretty much not, not looking very good. So you, you're you trying to sell it all over again, you know, at least with like USC. They had Clay Helton on discount there for the longest time. They didn't – they weren't really paying Sarkeesian that much or Lane Kiffin that much. I mean, they, they, they got really – a discount on all those coaches coming away from Pete. Pete was one of the highest uh, college football coaches in the nation. They weren't, they didn't turn around and pay Lee Kiffin, Pete Carroll money. You kidding me? And then, and then Steve Sarkeesian coming away from Washington where he was about to be fired. You kidding me? And then Clay Helton, who was a part of two failed staffs and you're just going to promote him. They, they were, they, they, they could save their money. <laughs> I mean, maybe that was the master plan. Maybe that was, that was where they got the money for Lincoln Riley, which I've, I've always kind of thought about like, oh man, how, how do you go from, from Clay Elton to Lincoln Riley? But maybe they were just saving their money that whole time. They got on sanctions. They're like, listen, we're going to go hire somebody. We're going to keep them around as long as humanly possible, save as much money. And I know there's a lot of Trojan fans who are like, dude, they were paying Clay Elton way too much, to, even a discount. But nevertheless, it's not the same thing where, you know, you, you, you haven't been putting that investment in. Now comes along a guy that is a proven winner. You can say, Hey, let's do this. Like that's an easy sell. That's an easier sell. I don't want to say it's an easy sell, but easier sell. But with Texas A&M, man, you put that investment in. You went after that guy, and he was an unmitigated failure. 
and now you're trying to do it all over again. Oh, well, no, no, no. I know we were wrong that time. But this time, it's Dion. It's Ronda. And it's like, yeah, so what has he done? Jackson State, man. Okay, that's not that's not uh, bowl division. Colorado, man, look at all the buzz. He's got a Colorado. Okay, that's cool. That's cool, but, you know, they lost to Stanford, man. They were, they were beating Stanford. Like 29 nothing. and Stanford came in. You know, his son is not going to be there. You know, Travis Hunter, they're, they're graduating. They're leaving pretty soon. You know, you, you got to you gotta sell it all over again and ask people to, to spend an all money. So, I don't know. I know that oil money goes far, you know, but I, I don't know if, if, if the Aggies are, are quite the Saudis uh, when it comes to that. I, I don't, <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't know. Uh, I don't know if it's uh, quite that big that they can just, like I said, just throw it out there after anybody. And then this week's games ahead, not similar to last week, not a ton of marquee games, but there's one big clear marquee game, and that's Penn State at Ohio State, which should be a fun one to watch. Tennessee is at Bama. Duke is at Florida State. And then obviously USC and Utah will be one of those other marquee kind of matchups for this weekend. But Gerard, Penn State and Ohio State, I think that's the one everyone's going to be watching. 9 a.m. Pacific time, so get to watch that before the uh, before I head off to uh, USC. Yeah, that's one of those old school 9 a.m. games. You know that they haven't had those games uh, early for a long time. I, I think the most of these games that we've seen um, between Ohio State and Penn State that I can recall have been mostly night games in recent years. So this is back to the Andy Katz and Moyer uh, days that uh, when you have to get up really early. I remember watching Penn State and Ohio State. Uh, and I had a Saturday like app. We have to go in after our games on Fridays and we had to do film and then we do like a weight lift for like an hour and uh, <clears throat> some nonsense at like 8 a.m. the next morning. And, you know, it sucked. Like I hated that like, <laughs> for the football team. It just sucked. And but we had, you know, the TV on um, in the weight room or whatever. And I just remember watching those uh, those games, you know, the, the Ohio State game and. Uh, the uh, the early sort of Midwest games, you know, Notre Dame sometimes is usually playing early. So now it's like nobody wants to play it at 9 a.m. anymore. Even these East Coast teams, SEC teams are playing at like, you know, like 7 o'clock at night, our time. And it's like, holy crap, dude, it's like 11 o'clock back East. So, um, you know, the, the Pac-12, though, they were they, they were a step ahead, right? They were going to like, if you guys don't want to play early, we'll play at 9 a.m., uh, Pacific time. Like we'll actually have our games at 9 a.m. Yeah. That game at 9 a.m. is 9 a.m. for us. It's not a.m. for them back there. But, you know, I remember that game uh, against uh, Arizona State, the COVID year, where it was 9 a.m., that 9 a.m. game. It was, I mean, what are you doing? What what kind of nonsense? And I know I you're thinking know. out the box, Larry Scott, but seriously, that was so stupid. Gerard, we have reached the end of our show, which means it's time for some listener questions. It's the end of the show, and you know it. That's what we need. To, we need that. That needs to good be a good point. I'll look into that. I'll look into that. And just a reminder, Michael if you want Stipes? To, Is that Michael Stipes? You know, I have no context of older music, so I'm going to take your advice. I feel like your context for music, just in general, even modern music, is probably a bit limited there. I think you. That's you, fine. You, That's you're, good. You're, your reference for music is basically whatever they're playing uh, at, on the practice field or at the seven-on-seven seven tournaments. That's that's kind of like your playlist, isn't it? I woke up in a Bugatti. You're that guy, aren't you, Trevino? 
you use a song from like 15 years ago. I don't understand it. <laughs> Nobody's playing. I woke up in a Bugatti on seven on seven circuit th- these days, George. I, I hate oh, to. I might have to point that out because I think they are. I think I okay. heard it. Okay. If this next season you you hear that I woke up in a Bugatti, you can clown me for the entire season, season three of composite two star recruits. How about that? How about How that? How about that? Catch me outside. How about that? That's another 15-year-old reference. I, I baited you into that one. Uh, just a reminder, you can email us at podcast at usfootball.com. Just make sure you put the composite recruiting, 10K, 18K, Hurricane. You know the drill. Cilantro boys, you know the drill. Gerard, only got two submissions. Before we jump into these, I just want to say I'm a little worried about Eddie. I have not heard from Eddie in quite a long time. I hope he's okay. The mascot of this podcast. Yeah, you know, um, and after that loss Friday, yeah, we we you know our prayers are out to Eddie for sure. I haven't seen him on the board. He got he got a double dose this past weekend, my guy. He got a double dose. He got it Friday, and he got it Saturday. So he's recovering. He's driving in his car somewhere, whispering. He's he you know he's he's just trying to get up the courage you know to get back into get back on the horse and ask those questions. Or it's just that Ryan's not putting the voicemails in for us, so maybe there's like I 10 stacked too. up. That could yeah. also be that, too. He's Good screaming job, into the void uh, right now. But, uh, yeah, Eddie DM'd me sometime. Let's get you back on the show with a question. I'm starting off with a question, question, question. Reggie from New Mexico. Dear Cilantro Boys, thanks for your insight, not just in recruiting, but with the business of how recruiting works and the state of the football team. One question, which position coach has impressed you the most this year? And the flip side, which one has disappointed the most? Thanks, Reggie from New Mexico. Interesting. You go first. You, are we in, are we in, are we interpreting this as coaching or recruiting? I think so. But maybe both. I'm I guess I'm going to interpret it as coaching and my guess, my guess, my Pick would be for impressed you is Sean Nua is my guess. My I said guess again. Wait, my you're pick, guessing what I'm gonna say? This no, no, cool. no. That no, no. I'm not guessing. I'm just saying guessing. I don't know why. Come on, Gerard, give me a break. We're two hours and thirty minutes in this show. Well, no, you no. Know my, I, I mean, I want to hear your opinion. I don't want to hear what you think my opinion is going to be. I'm not saying it's your opinion. That's my opinion. Oh, okay, who's on first? <sighs> Lord, strike me down. Get on that silver lightning. Special. Um, they think I'm Mexican. You're not Mexican? Um, Sean Nua is my pick for coach that's impressed you the most. But also, across the board, it has who? been that. You? Who's you? Me. I am me. Say me. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. It's light. I'm sorry. Impress me the most. Sean Nua. That's my question. Obviously, I think for me, my, my answer. Sean Nua has impressed you the most. <laughs> that's what you were saying. That's why we were all thrown off. I can speak for Obviously. the hordes of yeah. stylers out there that are going, yeah. who's my who, bad? Who's you? My bad. My bad. For you. Okay. My bad. My mistake. Okay, so Sean Nua, okay. Who has disappointed you the most? I mean, can't we just say Alex Grinch and call it a day? <laughs> okay. Well, he yeah, coaches, we can. he coaches the safeties. 
let's say it at that and let's go home. Okay. Okay. Well, and, and yeah, Divas side of the ball, there's a low hanging fruit there in terms of, um, you know, uh, player development, I guess. And it, it's top down. I, I would say here's a, here's a little, uh, maybe out of left field for people. Cause I, I've seen oddly some criticism and I can't get on board with it. I think Dennis Simmons has impressed me the most because of, and you know, I know there's two wide receiver coaches, so maybe Luke here needs a little dap here as well. A little credit, uh, hard to know, you know, we don't get to see practices and where everybody's lining up and how many reps they're getting with one coach over another coach, but nevertheless, Dennis Simmons, mainly for the development of one Brendan Rice. Brendan last season was a guy with so much potential and he just dropped too many passes. He was just a guy that was too inconsistent. You could see talent there, but it's like, is he really ever going to be a guy? You know, is he just Jerry Rice's son and always going to have potential, but never going to be consistent, not be a tough player, not be a guy that's dependable. And he has been tough, dependable, and pretty consistent. I know he had some drops here and there, but he is one of, if not the most dynamic outside receivers that they have for USC. And he has stepped up quite a bit with the loss of Jordan Addison. Um, Now, I know Zach Branch gets a ton of, you know, credit and, and a lot of people talk about him on the inside. And, you know, I think you can't necessarily from a recruiting standpoint um, overlooked that Dennis Simmons was involved to some extent there too. He's an inside guy. I know he's a Luke Hewitt guy uh, from a coaching standpoint, but I think Dennis Simmons has a big say in wide receiver recruiting. So when you're talking about on the field player development, you know, Taj Washington is another guy that was full of potential during the Clay Helton era when he first got to campus, but had too many big drops. And he just wasn't consistent enough. Now he's a guy that really gets overlooked, quite frankly. And I think he's um, outshined Mario Williams. I think he's outshined some other guys and, and really um, is a player that probably needs to be, um, you know, a, a first target, maybe a little more for USC mm-hmm. here. Um, so another guy that that I think has played really well and does play outside and inside. Um, but from a recruiting standpoint, Dennis Simmons helped get guys last year, um, good players, uh, guys that uh, we've heard, you know, plenty of promising things about with Juice Robinson, with um, um, Jacoby Lane and, and then Zachariah Branch. And then this year, you know, being able to get uh, Xavier Jordan and uh, Ryan Pelham. And um, again, you know, maybe there's some overlap there with Luke Hewitt. I mean, Luke Hewitt definitely gets uh, some some credit there talking to those players. Uh, but I think, you know, I, I, I've been impressed, particularly with Brendan Rice and his development uh, in terms of disappointment. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think the cornerback position has been a bit disappointing this year. Uh, we've seen Damani. Uh, we've, we've seen a plethora. They've, they've gone through uh, various guys, you know, Sarah Wright, what have you. And part of the USC giving up big plays this year has been at the cornerback position. You know, they've gotten beat. Uh, Damani had a bad game against Colorado. Um, you see uh, various instances where guys are one-on-one and they're getting beat and they haven't seen a ton of great receivers yet. You know, they're going to see Oregon 
and and they better they better play a lot better against Oregon. And then you know on the recruiting trail, um, you know not not getting Dakota Fields, that wasn't very good. Um, you know they lose Xavier Brown, uh, they got Marcellus Williams, who, who's who's a big pickup, but a guy that is you know I mean family and and I think you know was not the most difficult local player to be able to land. I mean, according to Greg Biggins, he was always going to USC regardless. Um, so, you know, I, 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 that's been a little bit of a struggle. You know, last year they reached on some guys and weren't able to get them. And again, there is overlap there. You could argue, hey, some of these guys are going to end up playing safety. You know, Alex Grinch is not necessarily uh, stepping up a whole lot. The system is not helping, so on and so forth. You know, there's there's various things. You can make arguments with the linebacker position as well. Um, they get Tackett Curtis last year, but the development, there's been a combination of guys, you know, and that's that's the, the new thing. That's the copium, you know, on the defense side of the ball. is like, well, you know what? I want to see more of uh, Shane Lee. Shane Lee has now become the savior, you know, because of how he played at the end of the game against Arizona. We've seen Shane Lee. We know what Shane Lee gives to the team. He's, he's a two-down linebacker against teams that, you know, maybe Utah you could play him, maybe Notre Dame you could play him, but, you know, not against teams that uh, are going to spread the ball around and put him in, in space. Can't do it. Just can't do it. You know, we've seen Tacker Curtis. We've seen the Rajon Davis combination. We've seen Tacker Curtis with Eric Gentry. We've seen uh, Mason Cobb with Eric Gentry and Tech, you know, whatever. And then there's obviously been that sort of where is Eric Gentry? You know, one of the most impactful players for them last season, a guy that was a mismatch on the defensive side of the ball, who we were really excited about. Like, who? how are they going to use him? Now they've got Mason Cobb there, and potentially if you can play him next to Tackett Curtis, which they are, they're throwing Tackett out there, you know, uh, freshman and all, um, trial by fire. Or can, you, can you make some wrinkles, do something to get Eric Gentry on the field? According to Lincoln Riley, correct me if I'm wrong, Chris, not injured. Not injured. Yeah, not injured, just just a little out trying of to get his get his feet under him kind of deal. Six, seven games into the season. Um that's an issue. That's a problem. You don't like to see that regression with some of your top players. And of course, they've they've struck out on, on numerous linebackers at this point on the recruiting show. So there, you know, you can look across the defensive side of the ball and be critical of uh, various coaches, various positions um, being disappointed and, and not seeing enough progression, whether it be development on the field, which I think is very important, but also just, you know, in terms of um, landing some guys, you know, uh, on the recruiting trail. They've done a better job on the offensive side of the ball. You know, Dennis Simmons is still getting some dudes. Um, now they they did miss out on Draylon Miller, at least first time around, and uh, a couple other guys, but um, – you know, it, it looks like uh, they're, they're going to be okay at that position and you got to keep stacking and keep stacking. And that's kind of been an issue uh, with the defensive side of the ball. You know, they're like, you know, at the safety position, they're on like plan D, <laughs> you know I mean? They're, they're, I don't even know um, linebacker position, you know, if, if they're going to offer further guys, they're, they're kind of getting down the list now. And that's where you start to get to, okay, are we reaching too much on the recruiting trail for high school guys? Are we better off just waiting for the portal, crossing our fingers, hoping that the talent pool at that particular position is deep enough that we can get some quality players? And our final question comes from David, class of 2016. Hello, is USC still a top five job? 
The argument is often history, the degree, and the local recruiting base. But if USC's NIL is unable to capitalize on the local talent, USC feels more like a top 10 to top 15 job. In the modern era, Jimmy's and Joe's seem more important than X's and O's. See Oregon. And USC is not attracting local talent, even after a Heisman and 11 wins. History of the program and degree quality seem unimportant to five-star recruits, especially locally. Thanks, David. Well, I would say first and foremost, I am not the person to answer that. You would have to ask college coaches and how they see through that prism their perspective on whether USC is still a top five job. Um, From my perspective, it's still a top job. I don't know, top five, top three, or top ten. Um, you have to sit there and consider all the factors with other schools, but uh, academics is not really, I think, a factor. Um, it doesn't hurt. It obviously gets sold on the recruiting trail, the degree. Um, but I think for, like I said, most kids, uh, it's about football. Um, so the football tradition and what you've done over the years, it does matter. You know, you have Heisman trophies you can point to, national championship trophies you can point to. Oregon doesn't have any national championship trophies to point to. There's not a legacy there. And part of that is just the the, the local uh, support uh, with talent. And so, you know, top jobs usually correlate with how easy it is to land talent locally. And despite, you know, the argument, well, California doesn't produce as many players as it used to maybe back in the 80s, uh, you're still getting plenty of good players out here locally. It's not, you know, Lincoln, Nebraska. It's not uh, even Eugene, Oregon, where you've got to do the most of your uh, recruiting outside the state, if not outside the region. So I would say from that standpoint, yeah, it's still a, a very um, lucrative job because you should be able to recruit well at USC. Um, you should be up near the top 10, if not in the top 10 annually recruiting based on just that. Now, NIL is a new thing. It is a bit of a wild card right now. Um, what future regulations bring, we don't know. You know, it, it's it's just, it's fluid. So um, it's hard to, to pin um, the value of a job on something that is still kind of up in the air as to how impactful it's going to be, you know, from one year to the next. Um, I think you are looking at alumni base. There's a lot of different things. The city that you live in, I mean, that's a double-edged sword for USC. There's living in Southern California, which if you're making Lincoln Riley money, is freaking awesome, okay? I mean, (laughs) the luau speaks for itself. Like, there's there's a lot of reasons why you want to live in Southern California. And by the way, my co-host came here from Maryland. He could probably tell you just as well as anybody. There's a lot of good reasons to live in Southern California. And he's not making Lincoln Riley money. Um, I am not. Last time I checked, I am not. I checked yeah. my back account this morning. I am not. Um, but then there's also, you know, the the price of property. And there's you know, there, there are other aspects that, you know, you can argue against, you know, living in Southern California as well. And and whether you want to live and, and raise a family in the city or, or, or at least near it. Um, as opposed to this small sort of college town, et cetera. So, so there's arguments either way. But, I mean, I think there's the inherent advantages that USC had 20 years ago are still inherent advantages that they have now. Yeah, NIL is 
a big difference. But, you know, there's argument that USC, if NIL is implemented properly, which it's really not, you know, they're obviously schools using loopholes and kind of coloring outside the lines a little bit with what you can do with NIL, what you can't. But if it in the spirit of the rule is regulated properly, then it should be an advantage for USC because you have that media market. You have so many corporations and companies that, I mean, look at what, look at where Caleb Williams is now. Caleb Williams would never be as big playing for normal, playing in normal Oklahoma, playing for the Sooners as he is at USC. If he'd done the same things, if Lincoln Riley would have stayed at Oklahoma and he would have had Caleb Williams there and Caleb Williams, he would be great at Oklahoma. He, he, he do the, give him the same damn stats. He would not be the Caleb Williams that we see today. Who's like all over the place on, you know, all kinds of commercials. You know, does, does he win the Heisman trophy that early on, you know, is, is, a, is a legit question. I mean, that was Lincoln Riley's first year, like to, to win the Heisman trophy that quickly to turn that around that quickly and to gain that recognition that quickly. I said something in the, the game changer piece. It, it was sort of Notre Dame giveth Notre Dame taketh away. Cause I feel like that was the game that solidified him as the Heisman front runner. That was the national game that everybody watched. And he had a great game. The last game, not so much. <laughs> the last game he has three interceptions and it's sort of like now you kind of go, okay, he, he, he's more of a long shot now. You know, he falls down the board quite a bit for people. Um, but that's that's the the stage of USC. You know, USC, Notre Dame is huge. You know, Oklahoma, Texas is big, but I always felt like the Red River shootout is a bit more regional than it is national. It's like if you're a college football fan, you're like, oh, that's, that's one of the greatest rivalries in college football. And it is, absolutely. But the casual – Sports fans, the pro sports fans, they're not up on it as much as they are Notre Dame USC. That's that's a that's a na- that's a national game. Why is it a national game? Because it's freaking Notre Dame in Indiana going cross country to USC. It's a class of a clash of culture, and that and USC just because I think alumni wise, um, they've got a, a bigger national reach. It's got a global reach, re- really. Um, you know, all of that plays towards USC in terms of what you look for when it's it's a, a job and you're comparing it with other jobs. And certainly that was one of the reasons why Lincoln Riley felt like he could leave Oklahoma and it wasn't a lateral move for him to go to USC. So, you know, just two years later, has that all of a sudden changed because of NIL? No, I don't think so. And again, I think we got to be careful about how much weight we put on NIL because, I mean, again, it, next year it could t- totally change. Maybe the feds get involved with it. Maybe there's some big scam that goes on and people are getting ripped off. You know, kids get ripped off or a school gets ripped off. That's all it's going to take. And then the mainstream media gets a hold of it and it becomes this whole controversy. And then it's like, okay, whatever congressman wants to make this their new little initiative that they get behind, this is going to be their cause. And they want hearings and blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden, we're not talking about aliens anymore. We're talking about college football and the corruption over uh, the, the NIL process and how these kids are being taken advantage of. It could happen in the snap of a finger. And then all of a sudden, everything is going to crack down. And there's going to be this like – and I don't don't ask me for the answers of, of the solutions of how things would change. 
but they would change. It would have to change. It's just going to be one of those things where public outcry because people are doing things they're not supposed to be doing. And, and they are right now. I can tell you. It's just there hasn't been an incident that's gotten into the mainstream wind that you know has been made into this big controversy where all of a sudden it's like, well, you know, people are looking to the government to say, well, you better step in because these colleges don't know what the hell they're doing. And these kids are getting taken advantage of because they don't have great representation. And there's just 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 people out there that are, you know, that are shysters that are going to continue to uh, to take advantage of it. And so, yeah, it, 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 I, you can't put too much stock on something that's moving this 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 quickly. That's this fluid. That's, you know, again, we're just literally right now we're talking about Draylon Miller. And that's a data point towards guys that are committing during the summer. NIL, NIL, NIL is all, all we're hearing in the background about what's going to be the deciding factor in the recruitment and where they end up as opposed to where they committed first. And so, you know, it, it's like literally we're just kind of waiting around to see, okay, how many of these guys end up in this pile and how many guys end up in the other pile? And then we can kind of make some type of rational, educated decision as to, okay, so these guys that are doing these NIL deals all in July – it don't mean anything. It's it's crap. If you go out there and you win a bunch of games during the season, you've got buzz and stuff, and you can get up right up to the to the signing day. You, you give them. You say, listen, hey man, you, you enroll. We got all these deals lined up. We got all kinds of stuff for you. We're not. All you gotta wait is a week, and you're gonna be enrolled in school. You're an early enrollee, right? Yeah. You, next week, you're good to go. You're locked in. Okay. But this stuff, you know, we're going to wait six months and we're going to, you know, try to finagle some type of nonsense through your trainer or through your handler and pay them a bunch of money and hope you get money and blah, blah, blah. No, 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 no. We're not going to do that. And and then it comes off like, oh, wow, USC was, man, they were ahead of the game. Or we get a bunch of guys in the pile that are like, hey, I'm taking that money now, baby. <laughs> I got my mom and dad. They're going to have a new house. I don't care about nothing. I'm committed. I'm locked in. I got some kind of weird contract that it's, supposedly it's not inducement. <laughs> Or if it is, it doesn't matter because NCAA can't get a hold of my bank account or anybody else's bank account. They don't got subpoena power. And and those guys are locked in and you never hear from them again. And that is what it is. So we're, we're still trying to figure out, like, what kind of sway does NIL have in the long term? And and then, you know, even just the process and, and, and it right now, what it is, what's the sustainability for the universities and the boosters for it? Because, I mean, if you're getting guys a bunch of money and then they're taking that money, you're like, yeah, well, I changed my mind. I'm going to keep the money, but I'm not going to go to your school. I mean, that, that don't that don't really work out. You're going to get burned. And these dudes, like I said, they may have some money, but they don't have money to burn. They didn't make their money, their millions of dollars uh, pissing it away. So that in itself will change the behavior of how these collectives works. But, you know, until we've got some years behind us, we just we can't. We can't get ahead of ourselves and say this is this is such a big thing and this is the end of it. This is how it is. This is this is going to affect you know what jobs are are valuable in college football and looked at as top five jobs versus what jobs are not. All right, Gerard, that seems like a good place to end it. Everyone's blood boiling. That's fine. Uh, blood boiling? What do you mean blood boiling? I just uh, said USC is still I, a top five job. Yeah, I know. I'm just uh, poking fun. Ah, uh, Christopher N. Trevino is in the chat. Yeah, you brought it out to start this show, so I'm just <laughs> going to end it on that. And this is like the first time in three weeks. I actually can end the show in Wednesday. In Wednesday, Gerard. That's that's a uh, that's a weird feeling for me. So it's a weird I, way to uh, state it. 
for sure. It's a weird way to state it, but talk uh, about your in a day, but yeah, talk about it in a day, talk about it in a night. I don't know. My brain's all loopy. I've only watched a combined maybe five minutes of actual practice time this week, so I'm not that happy. So I'm gonna go ahead and the podcast here. Hope you like the new drops. Maybe I can use them more. Trick Gerard into some situations where I get to use them. So thank you for playing along, Gerard. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. And thank you for listening to the Two Star Composite Recruiting Podcast. I'm 10K. That's Hurricane. And we will catch you next time on Composite Two Star Recruits. That leopard sucks! From the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles. Now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes!